morning and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 159th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, an amazing show, and I am so excited to have you all with us. I'm so excited to have our guests on, but before we get to formal introductions of the guests of honor, we do, of course, have to thank the show, thank the people that make this show possible, and that, of course, is our sponsors, and tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Last month, Drew Estate announced the unveiling of the new wooden boxes for the Undercrown brand beginning last month. The new box design looks almost identical to the award-winning current design, and the boxes continue to contain 25 cigars. The major difference and improvement lies in the shelf-friendly, more compact format, which enables premium cigar retailers to stock more boxes and cigars inside their humidors and you folks at home. So if you're a fan of the Undercrown Maduro, Undercrown Shade, or Undercrown Sungrown, grab up and stock up today on your favorite Undercrown cigars from Drew Estate and get many more into your personal humidors. Tonight's show is also sponsored by Oveja Negra Brands, four unique companies who share a passion to provide innovative cigars for the next generation of cigar enthusiasts. Black Label Trading Company, Blackwork Studio, Dissident, and Emilio are combining premium tobacco with an artisanal touch. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock and visit Oveja ovejanegrasigars.com to learn more. And welcome, folks. It's our 159 take. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome the guest this evening, which is, of course, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united. The one and only Mr. Pete Johnson, Tatuaje Cigars. Pete, how are we doing tonight? Good, Bear. How you been? Oh, I have been absolutely sensational. It has been a a crazy week um it's been a crazy like month you know because now i'm in a t-shirt in my studio which everyone knows is in my garage at this point but about three weeks ago i couldn't actually even do a show from the studio because you know it was, it like, was too cold <laughs> yeah it was literally minus six degrees outside so you know welcome to texas it's that's just the way it is and we were talking yeah, think, about I crazy weather you texas <laughs> yeah texas blew all the the uh the cold over to miami again well we 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 had a little chill uh on february was it second when we did our 14 hour thing that was chilly that day for some reason but this is just windy like we have a lot of crazy wind so it brought down the temperature that's why i'm wearing a long sleeve so yeah things get a little chilly i mean i've got the i've got well i've got uh, as you saw a little whiskey keeping me company but i got my my flannel uh ready to go if, if necessary but uh and there's the planes i was talking about i don't know if you can hear it yeah a little bit yeah it I don't know what's going on. I think the the weather shifted and the shifted the planes closer to the house. So there was a plane, I guess, last night uh, that I slept through that my wife said she thought it was going to hit the house. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, we we live, uh, you know, because uh, as you know, uh, I live right by Michael's uh, mm -hmm. Tobacco Viewless, which is right by the airport. And yeah, everyone always asks, like, oh, I bet I bet it's just the planes are just annoying. I'm like, you know, I've, I mean, I've I've certainly hear them on occasion, but can honestly say i've you know it's gonna happen tonight now that i'm about to say it but i've never been woken up by one everyone's really like buzzed my house or anything like that it's 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 interesting no i mean we're we're kind of i mean you can't you can't not be in a flight pattern in miami there's <laughs> there's like there's very few pockets in the city of miami that are just like oh yeah we won't we won't even hear any planes but everywhere else like being on a plane so much in the past, 
and seeing the flight pattern that comes through Miami, you're like, no, yeah, you're going to be able to hear it everywhere. But what's crazy is like knowing the flight pattern that kind of comes over our house. I'm actually surprised I can actually hear the planes. That's how far mm. up. Because when I would look down out of the plane, I'm like, oh, there's the house. But they're really far away. It's not right. like it's super close. So just That's... big old loud engines. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say about your, your, your place there in Miami, I, I've been on enough of these, uh, either seen enough of your interviews or participated in enough or been in a couple of herfs with you too. I, I feel mm -hmm. like, I, I know this is sounding presumptuous, but at some point I would love to have the opportunity to actually visit your home because I, like every time you sit someplace differently and like every view is just spectacular. Yeah, you like my teak uh, gateway. <laughs> I was going to say it almost, I know it's it's not in that similar style, but for some reason when I first saw it, I kind of had that old West Saloon vibe thing that I feel like yeah. I just pushed through and just, just what you know entrance and you know you know let the well, family know that when I'm we home. got when we got the house when we bought the house the guy who actually built the house uh not not the actual architect but the owner uh was a woodworker and when you see the woodwork in this house you'd be like oh okay i get it he builds sense. like high-end cabinetry for like you know showrooms and like really nice showrooms and they left us uh, two original um, antique rocking chairs that the father of the family built by hand, and they used to build in Cuba before they moved to the United States. And they're they're oh, just wow. they're just gorgeous. Yeah, she had like the the owner the the wife had like eight of them on her patio, and she left us two because she saw she actually saw Papine sit in one, and she goes, "I want to leave you a couple because I know he enjoyed them." <laughs> Oh, that's that's really sweet. Yeah, it was nice. That's awesome. Yeah, um, my wife and I are considering moving, and and no way, and I mean, no way in hell that we'd ever be able to afford this house that I sent her about. But I thought it was interesting. Like we were past it. My son, of course, you know, he's five years old. Was like, I want to move in there because he's starting to recognize we're looking at homes, and so he started to recognize there's a for sale sign outside, and he's like, gets all excited. And I was like, uh, okay, like we passed this house, and I was like, okay, so I looked it up. Uh, you know, 2.5, an easy 2.5 million for the home, you know, oh, yeah. in, you know, no big deal. Um, but I was reading the description of it. The, the doors, apparently I shit you not are, uh, not replicas originals from the, um, Hungarian embassy. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And a yeah. 100 year old stained glass window, which I thought was pretty cool, but the, the Hungarian that, that's embassy. actually really cool. But <laughs> 2.5, yeah, you know, no big deal. upkeep on that house, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious though, what's a 2.5 million dollar house size in Texas? Um, it was a little over 10,000 square feet, yeah, that, that's big. That's yeah, big, it was pretty massive, yeah. You can see why it caught my son's attention, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know why? I think you know why people sell big houses eventually, because of the upkeep. Oh, and gosh. they figured I'm going to let this old big house be upkept by someone else now. Because after a certain period of time, yeah, after a certain period of time, big houses they they start falling apart, and you you have to have like a 
a work crew come in and, and completely renovate the place. That's why I, yeah, I would never go that big. It just seems outrageous. I know a guy in the cigar business actually that, that was in a, I want to say 18,000 square foot house and him and his wife downsized to uh, 11,000 square feet. Oh my <laughs> that's, his, that's as big as my, that's as like as big as my lot. And I have a pretty substantial sized lot for, you know, being in the city. And I mean, my, you know, house is, you know, like 1200 square feet, but like we, we have like a 10,000 square foot lot, you know, so it's funny. Gosh, again, it, it goes back to that whole thing. It was like, I, he's probably smart because the house was built like probably in the nineties or maybe in the early two thousands. And he's like, well, I don't want to have to fix that. I don't want to have to fix that. Let's sell it. There you <laughs> like, go. Exactly. Someone else will buy it. And by this time, you know, he's owned it for X amount of years and real estate properties, you know, went up like crazy and, even though it's weird in Miami, they don't really go crazy up. They kind of just, you know, bounce a little bit. Uh, but when they finally go up, it's usually about 15 to 20 years later. As opposed to California, everything goes up as soon as you buy. Amazingly right. enough. Exactly. One of the, Yeah, one of those crazy, the market's crazy right now too. The, the, the COVID has done a number on the market. It's just, it's just insane. It's nuts. So we tried I, to we tried to get another warehouse down here in Miami. It was impossible to find something. Oh my goodness! Well, yeah. I know, I know, I know. The audience is just like riveted by my my home shop my home shopping experience. Oh, I'm um, sure they're so. they're like thrilled to hear about this. <laughs> Let's see what the chat room says. <laughs> they're just uh, they're still saying hi to each other because you can tell we're having some riveting talk here. But uh, let's uh, shift to some more riveting talk. Let's go through the basics here, Pete. Uh, you you lit up something pretty unique, uh, and why don't you share the with what you're smoking tonight? I'm actually smoking a seven by fifty eight Bellicoso. It's and it's you know you people think of seven by fifty eight it's going to be huge, but a Bellicoso version you know taper is really nice and it's actually super comfortable to smoke. So by the time you get down to the taper, and I usually hit it with like I have a cutter that you know has a back on it so when I cut I usually hit three or four times depending on the head um if it's a normal head it's one time right uh a fuma head I might do might do two because the the fuma goes up a little bit but on a bellicoso it's three maybe on a torpedo it's four it's so I'm guessing this is probably about a 50 ring gauge in my mouth compared to the 58 that's right. actually you know at the at the foot but uh, it's a it's gonna be called uh kohonu 2021 made in nicaragua because it's been it's okay. been a while since i did a kohonu or since we've done a kohonu and uh to alleviate a little bit of the backwater issue that we have on our grand kohonu that we make in miami um, Casey, Dan, and I were talking, actually, my brother brought it up to me and then Casey and Dan and I were kind of mashing it around and trying to figure out a good alternative. And of course, uh, six by 58 came up because I did that similar size for the double D years ago. Um, and then I had a couple conversations with, with some retailers and, 
And I asked, I said, uh, would you go bigger in there? Like, yeah, go to the seven. Because I asked the factory first off, I said, what's what size can the mold handle they're like seven by 58 i'm like give me some samples and i had already made the samples of the six by 58 but the seven by 58 just is it's spectacular i'm loving it i mean this is one of those cigars that i could actually get used to smoking but it's not my style yeah when you said that when we were talking just you know in the green room before the show like i was like i was like wow because I, I was in the, the, your your backup cigar is kind of usually the the wheelhouse that i'm used to seeing you smoking yeah um, nice little robusto backup um but uh no i i I'm, I'm excited about that size i think that'll be that'll completely something a little bit new but um you know with your, your you know your typical spin on it, i like it so um yeah the kohonu blend carries well in this size and amazingly enough you know like i've had two bellicoso style cigars in the kohonu lineup before so the 06 and the 09 are both bellicoso hits they're just completely off the chain when it comes to the ring gauges one's a standard 52 and the other one's a 48 49 so you're yeah in a long kind of like a pencil um bellicoso so it's, it's it's a little bit of a different style um for me to come out with this um is a jump but I think uh, it will cater to the guys that are looking for the Grand Kohonus that can't find them in stores right now. And I just didn't want to make a Grand Kohonu out of Nicaragua and send it up here and say it was made in Miami, obviously. Right, no, I think that's a nice little spin off of it too. You know, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to get into to factories here in a little bit, but, uh, um, and, and there's, there's an observation that I made um, and we'll kind of dive into it a little bit later, but um just the the level of detail that you 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 emphasize on a lot of different things like i said we'll get into a little more of it later but i i was i was really being observant of of that the way you are about those things and i i think i find that it actually truly it truly does translate to the product um and to the experience where i think sometimes it's just you know nuanced a little bit um in other cases but uh um not to be too cryptic or anything, but I'm uh, I'm smoking a Cabaiguan. Um, yeah, new sizes with the, uh, the 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 nice new band. Now I I, I actually learned that uh, this is only for the new the new the new Vitolas. You're still going to keep the yeah. band on the uh, the traditional uh, the traditional Vitolas. The original four Vitolas and well, actually technically five sometimes because we would make those little WCDs. Um, that actually had bands. Um, those are going to stick with the the old school band. This was kind of more of a two sizes to celebrate the 15th anniversary of Cowboy One, and to give them to give the brand a flashy new look. But but everybody around me and the guys, even the band makers, were like, "Please don't change the regular Cowboy One band. We love the simplicity of it." So, I mean, the same people that made this band that you're smoking mm -hmm. make the regular ones. And they were like, yeah, we, we love the, the simplicity of, of that, that Kawaii Wan band. Like, please don't change it. I'm like, no, I'm just going to use it for these two cigars and maybe any new cigars coming that we throw into the line under that, under Kawaii One. But the, the first four are just, I, I suppose, you know, it's, it's always that question, like, I suppose that if we decided to put the new band on 
the original four sizes and kind of make all the cigars look uniform and the packaging uniform, whether or not maybe it would capture some new attention to the line. Mm -hmm. But then there's the old school guys that just love the way it is and don't, don't change it. I'm, I'm the same way. Like I remember watching a brand, a very famous brand in our industry, literally within the first two years, change the bands three times and change the packaging like four times. So it was oh like, gosh. it was like really tough to watch. And I, I think they were just grasping at straws, but the brand was already solid. You didn't need to dress it up. Like in its simplest form, its original form, the brand, the, the band, I won't tell you the brand. The band was a simple brown band. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the cigars were, were box pressed. Uh, they had tissue paper in the box and the packaging was relatively simple. And then the next version of it, the cigars came in cello and the, the bands were glossy. And then the next version of it, the bands were bigger. The band, uh, they were still glossy. And now the cigars were round. And then they started putting cellophane on the round one. So it's like, it was so confusing for, as a consumer oh, I bet. within a, in a very short period of time. So the consumer was like, I, ah, you know, what happened to the ones that we had last year? I'm like, or, or last the week. same cigar. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, there's going to be people in the chat that are just like furiously Googling things now. They're like brown label changes, like <laughs> brand changes. Uh, I, don't, I, yeah, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I can probably say who it is because it's changed hands. Actually, I'll say who it is. It's this brand has has changed hands. And if you look at the evolution of this brand, it's so far off the chain of how many packaging changes, how many box changes, like shapes of boxes, styles of boxes, counts, or maybe the count was always 20, but maybe instead of doing two flat rows of 10, they did four you know four rows of five or they had three you know three rows and one had a block on the bottom it was camacho that's what i was thinking in the back of my head and and before that before they went through the the change in what year was it uh about 2000 maybe around 2000 before they went through the change in around 2000 the year 2000 the packaging before that in the mid nineties was like kind of a dress box, but they also had a little bit of a sweet cap to the uh, cigar too, but the cigars were box press back then too. See, I never tried the box press version of that. That would have been really cool. Well, I think I probably still have like one or two sticks left in a box. Oh, wow. I have to, I have to go digging through my stash to find them, but. (laughs) It was one of those cigars for me that, that kind of changed changed the uh, the show, like everything about it. Christian sent me a sampler box. We had a conversation in Los Angeles. This is like late 90s at the Grand Havana Room. And he sent me a sampler box. I think it might have been like 99, maybe early 2000. And... I, wa- I was walking my dogs. And I called and left them a, a, a voicemail. I'm like, I don't know what you put in these things, but these are the, some of the best cigars I've smoked in a long time. It was a game changer for me. 
and I got everybody at the Grand Event Room hooked on this cigar. Like, just they were like, "What the hell is this? Where's it from?" I go, "It's from Honduras. It's 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 totally changing the game." And then slowly, things started changing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not big on change. If you notice how I haven't really changed much of my packaging. Well, that was actually going to be my point was like, okay, so back, back in the day when I, you know, just barely knew your name and a little bit about your background and everything, I always found it and I'm going to completely, I'm going to completely uh, just own it right now. I, 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 it, it was lost on me how, you know, a guy with a musical background, the tattoos and everything, young, hip, really, you know, the rocks, literally the rock star of the cigar industry would have such simple packaging. And then, you know, as I got to know your story and got to know you, I was like, Oh, he's paying homage. Like this is, this is, this is, and, and, and I think that's why, you know, I I think even like the little subtle changes to the, like the Cabo Guan that we started this whole conversation, like you're still, you're still honoring, you're still honoring the past and everything. So I, I, I like, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll hop in that camp. I hope, I hope it never changes. Um, just because yeah, I, uh, I like tradition. I, I'm a huge fan of tradition and uh, cigars. I think at the front, they've always been about simplicity. The, 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 the cigar has to shine before the band does. And you can put an amazingly pretty band on a cigar, a great cigar, and it'll be great. But we've seen in the past, so many so many great looking products that aren't that great <laughs> tasting or great in general now, i mean now think about think about all great. the think about like you know i'll go into sneakers for a second because we we got the oldest one in the house a pair of jordans and uh and they're still it's it's the jordan that they came up with in the 80s or whatever it is you know like, yeah. it's the same shoe it just might be better leather. Maybe the technology has changed a little bit, but honestly, it's the old technology still, right? Yeah, it's still a shoe. Yeah, it's, I mean, but at then, the heart of it. But then there's these shoes that come out that try to like, oh, we're the hot new shoe. Like, let's throw let's throw the Ball family in, in here for a second. LeVar Ball and, you know, mm-hmm. their, their brand. And they come out with these crazy shoes that are made in wherever, and they look ridiculous but they're just pieces of shit at the end of the day so exactly i don't know it's enough about that (laughs) well this kind of like segues into this this i I wanted to get a little salty tonight on a couple of subjects pete um oh i like salt so i'm a good salt guy so so um and this is an this is an older subject this story is over 18 months old but i I, it kind of lays back into it kind of goes back into ties into this so i'm going to tie it together to you in a second but the, the open-ended question that I'm going to pose to you is why is everything a debate? Why is it either or? And I want to tee it up in two different ways. Like they're both relevant to you. So I was having this discussion. You and I were texting about one of the new projects, which we'll be talking about here in a little bit. And my comment to you is I was like, I, I love your work with Sumatra. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was having a conversation with somebody and about it. And I was, you know, kind of just talking about, I was like, Oh, I'm really excited about this project. Cause I love when Pete works with Sumatra and, like immediately this person goes into the defense and says, no, absolutely not. His broadleaf is way better. It's blah, blah, blah. I mean, just goes off like on a three minute, ten, you know, this three minute tirade. And I was like, I didn't say I didn't like broadleaf. Stuff <laughs> <Yeah. from him. laughs> 
yeah. why, why, like why can't we like both like what is why is everything such like like i mean heated debate yeah your thoughts I, why does everything have to be a debate i don't know um i mean shit i i love I mean, I, I don't do it a lot, but I still love stirring the pot here and there. Like, I, I wanted to have a debate the other night when I posted that whole thing about, is it really an Amazon original movie if they didn't, if they didn't really make it? They just bought it and decided they wanted, to, they wanted to be the ones that distributed it, right? And I guess it's an Amazon exclusive. So that, to me, that's a good debate. Like, how do you feel about it? And someone <laughs> jumped on and said, who the truck cares, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's a stupid question, I know, but I'm, I'm curious to see, to have, you know, I think it was Ben Lee that actually was like, yes, it's absolutely an Amazon original. I go, and then Coop jumped on and says, no, it's, it's made by Paramount. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't know why people like to debate so much, but I think it's, it's healthy. Yes. As long as it doesn't get heated. You know, there's a difference between a, a good debate and a fight. Right. And passion uh, is one thing, right? It's vitriol, which is like the enemy of. Debate. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think with with cigars, it's like people just have their opinion on what they like better. And if if you say Sumatra and the next guy says broadleaf, it's gonna it might get heated. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, apparently, I mean, I call I call down I've called down the thunder on a number of things. Uh, one of the which I've, I've recanted the story before when, when Twitter was like a new thing and I got on Twitter and I used it for talking about cigars and stuff. And I remember this was about the time where um, New York had just outlawed soda, you know, among obviously, you know, tobacco consumption has always has been a problem in there. And then soda was the next thing that they came up with. But then all of a sudden the story came out about how they were they were uh, um, considering legalizing cannabis. Right. Um and, you know, this was years ago, and obviously I was, you know, immature in my youth too, but I, and I just put it out there, and I, and I fully admit this now at the age of 37, I was wrong to use this word, but I was like, okay, so my tweet was, so let me get this straight, tobacco, soda, bad, narcotics, good. <laughs> and the shit that I caught uh, was just unbelievable. And not one, there was not one pro-soda or anti-soda, not one pro-tobacco or anti-tobacco person that just lit me up over Twitter. It was all about like, you know, cannabis isn't a narcotic, you know, it's safer than this. But I mean, just like everything, like I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's always the tough part when you have, uh, I mean, listen, I'm, 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 I'm a C, C plus student, maybe a C minus student. Uh, I know streets more than I know books. And if I don't know something full out, I just don't post it. <laughs> um, as much as we have at our fingertips with knowledge and Googling things, there's some things you just don't want to jump yeah. into because you, you, there's always someone that you know that's going to answer it in the wrong way and it's going to start a shitstorm. So I just try to avoid stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it still pales in comparison to the thunder I called down when I said that the you know Christmas vacation was crap. You know. Oh well, and, that's a good debate. That's a healthy fun debate because Christmas Vacation is one of the best movies ever. <laughs> and that's why we'll just agree to disagree on that one, Pete. So <laughs> I've, had the, I've had the discussion enough times, but 
Um, man, but um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I did you understand? I think I told you why Christmas vacation to me holds a, a soft spot. Did I ever tell you that story? Um, it, if you did, it's escaping me. Um, I, I just I moved re- to Los Angeles the same year that it came out. That's right. Mm-hmm. I saw Christmas Vacation by myself at Man's Chinese Theater. That's right. Yes. It was it was one of those movies that just brought me to a happy place during a time where I felt so alone. Because I was, you know, literally to, to me I was alone in Los Angeles and I was away from family and you know, I I had a job but I I wasn't making a lot of money and Movies were like my out. You know, I saw all the great movies for me. Like, dude, Die Hard. Die Hard, I saw at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. I mean, like, these theaters wow. don't even exist anymore. So, like, Hollywood Boulevard during, during those days, because I lived right, I lived on Hollywood Boulevard, about, I don't know, three or four blocks from Manchester Theater. And so... Every time a new movie would come out, it was always at one of these big old theaters. And that was my my way of escaping. So fun times. Yeah, you know, after after uh, after the year that we've had, you know, we're gonna be talking to our kids or grandkids about movie theaters and they're gonna be talking about like, what are you talking about? People used to go to someplace and watch a film. I can just stream it on my phone. Yeah, well, don't tell those people that still invest in AMC. <laughs> Exactly. No, I, I, I still, I'm, I'm looking, that's actually one of the things I'm looking forward to most about like return to normalcy is I want to go see a movie in an actual theater. Cause I come to Florida. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, Texas Florida's is about to open up too. Open. Yeah. Texas is about to open back up again too, but. I heard Texas a... was only open to drive all the people from California back to California. <laughs> <laughs> That could be an interesting theory. Yeah, no, actually later this week, they're going back to uh, the orders going up to 100% capacity and then the uh, the mask orders being lifted too. So it's, a, it's it's been an interesting, speaking of debate, it's been an interesting point of debate uh, the, last, well, uh, I the mean, last few days. I'll throw in my, my two cents about the debate of, of masks. The reality is, is like, if you're walking down the street exercising with your family members and no one's around, I mean, there were people getting tickets for that at one point, if you right. didn't have a mask on. That's just plain silliness. But if oh. you're in a public place, put a mask on. I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't understand. For me, I don't understand the debate of like, why can't we just, we know how to be adults. We know how to live. We know that when we're walking into a, a busy restaurant or a busy store that, hey, have a mask on just to protect each other. Why not? Um, to um, take the mandate a hundred percent away. I, I don't know. I think there's, I don't know. That's a long touchy subject for a lot of people, I'm sure. But, uh, Oh yeah. Listen, I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody like, Oh, you have to wear a mask. Like, but I actually appreciate that restaurant workers have to wear masks. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about how many, less times my food's been spit in how about that <laughs> yeah, i mean it's, it. it's, it's, a, it's a fair point i mean yeah i mean it's an absolutely fair point i think that yeah i mean uh, i'm sure the you know the the restaurant quality uh in terms of sanitation has gone certainly has gone up right 
even with just some of the basics that they've instituted, like, you yeah. know, you know, and that's okay taking the, that. yeah, I was gonna say taking the, like all the joking aside about people spitting in their food and stuff like that. They, I mean, that's not, I mean, we're not talking about like, you know, intentional that, I mean, there's the no, yeah, it's just, breathing and, you know, people coughing into their shoulder and sneezing and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, next subject. That so, was, that was horrible. Well, no, the, no, the, <laughs> the but the end turn of debate now, this is a story that's 18 months old, but this was something that you took, well, you took great exception to, and, but it sparked a huge debate nationwide, which was interesting because it, it's was, at the center of it was, was a huge pop star who you actually happen to know. Um, of course, that was Nick Jonas, mm-hmm. uh, who appeared on the cover of Cigar Aficionado, which I thought was pretty cool um, from where I stand, just because I thought I was like, wow, you know, that's, you know, a, a younger generational member, you know, being photographed on Cigar Aficionado, which, you know, typically has been a, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think Marvin Shanken will get too mad at me. I, I think it's an I think it's an older generational. Their 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 audience is a little older, so oh they, yeah, they've right. they've had yeah they it, they are, but they've had you know younger, hip, you know actors on the cover. I think you know you got the sports celebrities that have been on the cover. They they were they were in their prime. Some of them. It's true. And you got Vince Vaughn, right. uh, now with The Rock. Um, Dwayne Johnson on the cover. I mean, these are that was a good interview. These are these are you know people that that still carry a lot of the younger generation with them. So it's actually helpful across the board. The Nick Jonas one was controversial because here it is, you know, a a young pop star from a boy band, mm-hmm. and he's young. There's no way that he can really smoke cigars and there's why would they put him on the cover well they put him on the cover because he's a real smoker and he really enjoys it and he loves it and plus the kid's becoming a megastar he's got new movies coming out left and right he just produced a new album uh outside of the work he does with his brothers i mean the kid's no joke and he loves sitting down relaxing with cigars and he nerds out on it too so at the end of the day, we're all nerds for these things. And and if if I could tell you, he, I'm sure he smokes more than The Rock does, and The Rock is also on the cover. So, <laughs> well, I think he even admitted that. to it. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Johnson even admitted to that that he's not really he's not really terribly into it. Um, I mean, he's had them, but yeah, he's not like he's not like a huge cigar smoker. Catherine Zeta Jones was on the cover a few years ago too. She she doesn't smoke uh, at all. I thought I thought she smoked for some reason. Because in the interview, she said she didn't. Uh, you know, I just remembered that, or you know, or very rarely one of those things. Yeah, I thought for some reason she was a cigar smoker because of Michael Douglas, who was a, a big smoker at one time. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's he- healthy to have the mix up there, but that's where you got to remember. You know, actors like The Rock who are on the cover. There's the reason why Cigar Aficionado is really just called Cigar Aficionado. You know, like the big aficionado. It used to have a big, I don't know if you've seen the old covers. Mm-hmm. It was big cigar aficionado. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, you know, tiny in the corner aficionado. Aficionado, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm a fan of the publication. I know it catches, it definitely catches its own um Speaking of debate, it catches its own it's catches its own debate and everything, which we'll be talking about cigar aficionado here a little bit more in a second. But you talked about nerding out 
that kind of leads us into our, our major point for this evening. So our tonight's major point is always brought to you by Barracoa Cigar Company. Barracoa is back, getting ready for the relaunch of the voyage this spring. I personally can't wait for the cigar to come back. It's been over three years, but now with a revamped blend coming from one of the hottest factories in the industry. Uh, Danny Vasquez promises, if you like the original blend, you're going to love the relaunch. So stay tuned for more details of how you can enjoy the new voyage. And remember, never settle. Barracoa Cigar Company. So Pete, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit nerding out on some of these these latest projects that um, you were cryptic but not so cryptic about. Uh, you know, posting <laughs> them on social media and everything like that. Uh, getting a lot of get, getting a lot of your fans and and the uh, the consumers alike really excited about some of the stuff that you're working on your recent trip to Nicaragua. But before we get into that, here's an interesting question that I want to ask. You've spent years going to Nicaragua, and I know it was it's been too far too long for you. Um, yeah. probably about a year uh, since your last visit there. But outside of cigars and the cigar industry, so anything tobacco related, what's your favorite part of Nicaragua? Uh, wow. You know what? I, I don't really know. I mean, aside from, aside from, you know, the tobacco side and the fields and everything we do day to day down there, I think it would probably be the people. It's really the people that I work with down there uh, because I have key people in the factory that I work directly with um, that I know I can, you know, work with them at peace while Jaime is busy doing other things. He, he knows he can trust me to work with them and everything will get taken care of. Um, I think it's got to be the people. I, I still love the sites. I, I love the fact that Nicaragua's got the most active volcanoes out there, which is really cool. Um, I will tell you, I do not like the drive from Managua to Esteli. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> so that's my least favorite part about Nicaragua. But well, it varies. I think so the much. people it's just like love to live. Three hours you know to seven hours, right? Like it just depends. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it depends on what type of vehicle you're in, but it could be two, two and a half to uh, seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the people are where it's at. Um, they just have a different vibe on life. They just, they, they're living. I mean, and they're hard workers, especially in the factories. So, but for me, it's been so, you know, focused on, the tobacco side that uh, I rarely venture out um, outside of that box. So, you know, you mentioned the the the, the volcanoes, and um, I uh, and and it just it just occurred to me, and I and I and I, and I and I forgive me if I'm slipping here, Pete, but I mean, do you have you have you ever worked with? I'm sure you certainly you have, and have, I'm just misremembering at the moment. Omentepe tobacco, have, have you ever dabbled in it? See, nope. I didn't think so. No, we overpowering. We, no, uh, we we just don't use it. Um, we use tobaccos uh, exclusively from the farms that the Garcias grow. Um, there was a point in time in the early days, obviously, that the Garcias didn't have this many farms, and we were relying on buying tobacco from good partners like ASP and uh, Oliva Tobacco. We still buy tobaccos from both of those companies, uh, mostly wrappers. 
Uh, but when it comes to fillers and binders, it all comes from the different regions that the Garcias grow in. So you're talking Jalapa, um, Esteli, obviously. Um, there is a, a big farm that they have called La Esperanza, which is on the edge of Cundega, but it's actually not down in the valley, but it's, it's actually right before you hit the valley. Um, beautiful farm. Beautiful farm, beautiful tobacco, like probably one of my favorite farms that they have. It's their newest one. They've had it for a couple of years now. And then um, their region that they kind of built up themselves called Namahi, which is uh, kind of a cross between Jalapa and Esteli when it comes to tobacco. Namahi is really, Namahi is really popular for when you think about the brand Florida Las Antillas because a lot of the tobacco that came from Florida Las Antillas was from Namahi. Yeah, so that, that explains that, like that sweet spiciness. I mean, like the, I mean, Jalapa has that nice sweet characteristic, and then you know Esteli obviously has that uh, has that pop to it. Yeah, like so Namahi right now though, um, I would say I'm trying to think of the amount of uh, manzanas they have out there, but it's a lot. Um, I would say about eighty percent of their production out there now is all shade grown for wrappers. Interesting. Okay. So when you get into that little valley that they have created over there, um, it's it's like a sea of cheesecloth or whatever, you know, that that cloth. That you, that's all you see. Like you get up to, there's a piece of the property where we get up to the top of and you can actually see the whole span and it's just massive. They, they still do some, some sun-grown stuff out there on certain farms that they, they rely on for certain tobaccos, but they they shifted a lot of the farms to what what they call tapado shade grown. Awesome, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I think um, it, what's a any uh, mainstream products that have come from there that you could name off off the top of your head? Well, I mean, some of the shade grown tobacco you're talking uh, for wrappers, obviously uh, Fonseca. For one of them, uh, my Escaso stuff. Um, you're talking about shade grown Corojo 99, so it's it's just a different leaf. And when you as soon as you shade grown tobacco, it it you know it thins out the veins, it makes it smoother, keeps a lot of the oils in the wrapper, but it it the pliability on on these wrappers you know just stretches out really well. So I'm gonna no, jump. I mean, I, Okay, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, I'm going to jump subjects for just two seconds. And I was, because I wanted to ask you this at some point. So um, tonight, so the, the the Fonseca project, I know you were a big fan of it. Um, and I'm, I'm giving you full, full permission just to call me out as an idiot on here. Am I, am I crazy? I obviously say, taste is subjective, but am I crazy that I, that the, 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 the cedar wrap, the Consacos is is just that much different, in my opinion, better than the other Vitolas. But is it that much different? Am I am I nuts? Am I am I am I stupid? I'm giving you permission. No, it, no, it you know what it is. It's that connection to the cedar. Uh, there are there is something about cigars when you when you put them down in a cedar environment, um, and same thing with the My Father Number One mm -hmm. in the cedar. That's just like 
it, it has like this extra pop of character to it that doesn't come from the regular ones that don't hit as much cedar. They might hit a little bit in the box, but when it's directly connected to that wrapper, that wrapper just absorbs that, that profile and it gives it a, like a cool texture, a nice little spice to it. I hate talking about, you know, how cedar can impart flavor because that's something we try to try to steer away from as much <laughs> right. as possible, especially talking about cigars in the industry. But, but there is something to say about a cedar wrap cigar that, that captures a little bit of that essence, those natural oils from the cedar that, that actually make the cigar shine. Um, the blend's the same. Right. I mean, the, the blend's identical. It, I'll go back to the whole thing about box pressing and round cigars. You know, a round cigar in a cabinet and a box press version in a, in a dress box are going to perform differently. And you're going to get different nuances out of both of them. Mm -hmm. So I've had debates with, you know, people from high, you know, big magazines about this. I'm like, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to be a different cigar. Like it, 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 there is a difference. There's absolutely a difference because the way it's bunched, you know, traditional box pressing, not so much because traditional box pressing, every cigar is the same. And then it's put in the box and smooshed, right? Mm -hmm. It's a round cigar that just happens to be smooshed. But when you're factory pressing cigars, which a lot of, a lot of people do, when you're box pressing in, a, in like factory molds to get that, that square character to the cigar, you actually have to produce that cigar differently so it has the air pockets in it so you have the room to press it. Because if you press that round cigar completely square, you won't get a draw out of it or you'll get a really tough draw. No, no, I, I totally agree. That's what I was like saying, you know, when the people want to have the debate with me on box press tasting, not tasting different. I'm like, well, you, you understand that they're, they're, they're changing the blend. They're, they're, there's, there's tobacco that's removed to create, to create airflow inside yeah. the box press. Unless you're talking about, like you were saying, like the traditional box press where just a, you know, a Parejo that's been, that's been pressed in the box, you know, that's, that's a different story, but yeah, but actually blending to the, with the press and everything and factory pressing, like you say, there, there's, it's a completely different process, which obviously alters the, the, the cigar experience. Um, but, you know, going into different, a different experience. So one of the projects you were working on that you and I were actually talking about this over text was the, uh, was the, uh, the LLE Kappa Special. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is the cigar. This is the cigar that actually sparked the discussion about the. I can't, you know, I can't believe I like broad uh, Sumatra stuff over the broadleaf, which I never said, obviously. <laughs> but um, so this is the this is the the redux uh, of an original release that you did. But speaking of box press as well, uh, six and three quarter by forty two. Mm -hmm. um, and um, now there's 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 a there's an allocation specifically going to an HC. So yeah, which I'll, is all gone already. Right, right. I saw that you posted about that. So um, talk a little bit about, you know, the idea of like just this cigar. And then I want to talk about the discussion of, of like reduxing, which you've you've done quite a few redux projects over your over your time in the industry. But uh, this cigar specifically, what what made you come back to this particular project? And, and what, uh, you know, what was it about that, that kind of drew you in? I, I think... Uh... 
you know, Dan and I had a long conversation about it. Actually, Casey was involved too, but uh, it's just a size that we love. It doesn't get a lot of fanfare. Uh, we did a similar version of the size, well, not version of the cigar, but the similar version of the size with uh, the crystal baller in surrogates. And it was like the least performing size in the line, but people still hold like the the old uh, Sumatra Kappa Especial um, NHC kind of on a pedestal. And I, I figured it was like the perfect opportunity to show that, you know, this is a cigar that shines and people need to experience a smaller ring gauge to understand it. Um, we call it a limited Lonsdale Extra. Uh, I guess it would be called a Cervante Larga normally. Um, but uh, I think it was just one of those things. We, we, we loved the size and we wanted to come back out with it. And it was, it was nine years ago that we did it before. Actually, technically 10 years ago, it re was released nine years ago, but it's a long time for a cigar to be kind of out of commission. And that's why I like Redux is um, if they've been out of commission for a good period of time, I'll consider doing them. And that's why here it is uh, 13 years later um, with the Frank um, coming back as a redux and actually all the boxes will be labeled as reduxes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So all the monsters moving forward will be, you know, Frank redux, Drac redux. So they'll, they'll actually say redux on the box. So people know. Uh, really quick before we dive back into reduxes, the LLE Kappa Special, is this what Dan refers to as the Mansdale size or is that a different <laughs> format? No, that's the Mansdale. It's the Mansdale. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the Mansdale. Nice. It, it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long launch. No, we, uh, we, and I even commented. I even said I was like, man, that it didn't the the way that you, the angle that you took the photo at. I thought it was, I thought it was larger. I thought it was, I was like, I couldn't believe it was a forty-two. But the, the obviously yeah. the, the box press kind of plays with you a little bit on that. But when I was asking you about reduxes, um, you, you had an interesting take on it. I thought this would be worthy of sharing tonight. You you'd mentioned that you like the idea of giving a new generation or the next generation of smoker a chance to try something that they didn't. Was from the past. Yeah, yeah. that was from the past like that. I, mean, I think it's important. I mean, first of all, to see some of these uh, original cigars going for just absurd amounts of money. You, you you kind of uh, you kind of take pride in it in some way, but at some another way you're kind of offended by it because that's not what they were meant for. They were meant to be smoked. But then you you also have to give the guy credit for holding on to him for so long. Um, but I at at the end of the day I I wanted to come back out with certain things to to give people a try to give people some way to try a cigar from the past that they had no way to get, or if they were able to get it, they would have to pay, you know, a hundred dollars to get it. Um, that's why the T110 is coming back. Um, Marvin from Hawaii, from our fields in Hawaii, I'm doing a run for him um, with the, uh, the T110. And then you know, slowly we'll, we'll start digging into the portfolio and finding more things that we can redux. 
you know, it all started when the FDA came in and we were all questioning whether or not we could do new things. Right. Right. And anything that was out before 2016, I was like, wow, I have a ton that was out before 2016. I can technically keep on doing those, but what, what cigar works, you know, what cigar has been gone long enough that makes sense. And if you think about it, the, the, Kappa Special ones that we did, the Mancero or Mansdale size for Dan originally, we made 70 boxes. That wasn't a lot. It was a very small production. And this was a way to give us, I mean, obviously our main concentration is, is, you know, regular production. But this is a way for us to have fun within the regular production. No, absolutely. So there were a couple of uh, limiteds that were being shouted out in the chat. And I, I had one. Uh, I mean, I never had the opportunity to try. In fact, it wasn't even released. It was just something that you had fun with uh, the uh, the Dark Lord Day cigar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should I should go get one to smoke. <laughs> any, no, everybody wonders if I'm actually I am. I'm playing with that right now. I'm not playing with Dark Lord Day, but I am playing with that particular cigar. Uh, uh, the last time I was in the crowd, I was playing with the exact blend, the way it was put together, just with a twist. The original version was was uh, actually Havano uh, Ecuador with uh, like a like a Claro style wrapper, Claro color or shade wrapper. Um, the newest version I tried was actually with the Corojo ninety nine uh, shade grown. Oh, interesting. Just to see, just to see how how much it would change. There are some reduxes that we like to play around with that are not actually reduxes. Like the Karloff was not a Boris redux; it was actually a brand new cigar based on the original style of the Boris, but amped up. I will say that the Frank is based off of the original blend, but tobacco's changed so much that we're going to get as close as possible. But I'm also adding a covered foot to the cigar to make it different than the original cigar. And that way there's no confusion with the consumers. Oh, interesting. It's the, it's still the only monster that I haven't smoked and it's the, you know, the original format. So when, when you announced that, I mean, you kind of teased it, you've been teasing it for a couple of years now that you were you know, potentially going back around and I got, I got super excited and, you know, you know, the negative Nancy's all around like, well, you know, it's going to be a different cigar. And I'm like, I don't care. Like it's the one that I haven't tried. It's the only one that I haven't tried. Like it's fan, you know, it's, yeah, fantastic. it's totally going to be a different cigar. I mean, we, I, I'll tell you, the recipe didn't change. It's it's really tobacco, maybe the sources, the fields, that's what changes. But the the actual seed varietals and blend that went into the original are true to what's going into this redux. You try to come as close as possible. It's impossible to be dead on. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I'm, I'm excited to try it in the original format because I really like the blend because I've, you know, I've, I tried it in the skinny monster mm -hmm. and I tried it in the, the, the pudgy monster and I, I thought it was sensational. I'm still a big Jason guy. That's the, the, the Voorhees yeah. is probably 
still my you know if, if someone asked me to like put a gun in my we, we just call one. it jason now i, I kind of got rid of the whole jv13 thing or whatever but uh it's just now called jason yeah <laughs> I, I i love that blend i loved it in all uh, i loved it in the skinny um i loved it in its original format i thought it was it was it was, it was, it was terrific um i thought the, the 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 michael might still to me might be the most underrated um i i, I love the michael i think it uh I think people were expecting it to be like this strong, badass cigar. And I was like, you know, Michael was kind of a silent killer. It crept up on you. And if you smoke a Michael, especially without food, you're going to, it's going to creep up on you. No, it had, no, it had some giddy up to it. That's for sure. And yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I know that everyone was going crazy when you did the, 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 the new, the, the larger formats of the Chuck and the Tiff. And I remember you having, you and I having this discussion about how, uh, that's, of course, nothing wrong with the Chuck, but everyone was like buying up all these Chucks and you're like, man, I really like the Tiff. And, you know, I took you up on it. I bought more Tiffs than I did the Chuck. And I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I thought the, I thought the Tiff was fantastic in the, in the larger format. Yeah. I think the Tiff's a sleeper and obviously, you know, Tiff and Chuck are, are the same insides. Right. Just it's different wrappers. It, it's just a different wrapper. And I think, I, I think it was, I think it brought more attention to Connecticut rappers. That's for sure. Because it's, it's not a milder blend and you throw a Connecticut on it and it, it changes your opinion about, you know, what a Connecticut is supposed to be or what, what the old people said a Connecticut was supposed to be because the old days, everybody said, Oh, Connecticut's a mild cigar, but that's not the case. Yeah, I th and see, this is what I was talking about. Like you were going back to you know the original funny point from this night of like you know the broadleaf Sumatra debate that I found myself unknowingly in. You know, it was <laughs> you know how you know how much fun you have and how you know you 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 when you venture off and everything. It, 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 these are cigars that you know aren't. No one's sitting here questioning like you know when you did the Tef, for example. Like no one sat there and questioned like why did Pete venture off from his wheelhouse? You know, it's like, no, it's a, it's a great cigar, you know? And I, I think it just, I think it shows to not only your, your creative prowess, but, um, but your, 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 your willingness to, to, to risk a little bit, especially if, if the tobacco is there and the product is there, you ultimately put together out of, put, put out a great cigar. Well, you know, Bear, I'll, I'll, it, it, you, you're smoking a Cabai Juan. And when I came out with Cabai Juan, in 2005, everybody who smoked Kawaiwan, well, not everybody, but there was a, a small sector of people that were like, it's not a Tatuaje. I go, it's not supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. It's called Kawaiwan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. It's got a different name. I didn't, I'm not just going to sit there and, and, you know, make everything a Tatuaje and slap a different band on it. Um, that's no fun. There, you have to have that, those, those, those little things that, that kind of spark your creativity. It's, it's like, you know, you do a hard hitting heavy metal song and then you throw in a ballad. And I guess, I guess to bag on Metallica, I go, that might be, I was, that was doing Metallica for a second. I went from ride the lightning to, uh, you know, to injustice for all. <laughs> One of the one of the few musical references that I'll get. I'm not I'm not the biggest musical consumer out there, but uh, but I, I appreciate music 
you know, I guess I suppose as much as the next person. And there are certain things about it that I like. I'm just, I'm not a huge music consumer, but um, I appreciate well, I mean, when is people. It, is it because you like, I, I'm, a, I'm a musician, obviously by, by my history, but I, I just love music in general. So I listen to everything. I mean, obviously being exposed to all the Latin and reggaeton music that I'm, you know, exposed to from the family, but like I, I listen to Pavarotti all the time. And then, then the next, you know, I'll go into my car and I'll, I'll turn on, you know, some British rock, you know, so it's, I'm all over the map. Um, there, I went through my rap phase. I went through my country phase, you know, like, so music country. in general for okay. me, you know, because music, music for me is like a cigar, either it's good or it's not. And there's a billion different cigars and there's a billion different songs and music genres. But in the end of the day, there's, there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. And uh, that's why I like music because I can, I can gravitate towards something that I think is great for me, but it, it's definitely not in the normal wheelhouse that I'm supposed to be in, which is the rock and roll wheelhouse, right? Right. Like right now, I'm hooked on a cigar, uh, on a song that uh, was done by a guy by the name of a Roberto Carlos uh, back in the day, and it's been redone by this girl and this artist named Chacal out of Cuba, and it's called uh, Si Piensa Si Quieres, and I love it. There's something about the song; it just it's it gets you going. It's uplifting. I actually woke my wife up with it this morning. <laughs> i had it playing in the kitchen i decided to add it to the master bedroom on sonos and woke her up with it and i asked her i said did you enjoy it she goes yeah i was dancing in bed it could have been a worse uh, different reaction you're like yeah i would have appreciated just not at you know eight o'clock in the morning or whatever it was you know <laughs> well i i will tell you that i i accidentally turned it on the middle child's bedroom also <laughs> I don't think he appreciated that, but I think I might have had the volume down so he didn't hear it. He's a heavy sleeper. <laughs> well, and I think that again, kind of, we keep going back to this 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 debate that I found myself in. But I'm 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 a I'm eclectic too. Like I like a lot of different types of music. That's probably why I've never really kind of just stuck to one thing. Yeah, gone into. I'm the same thing with cigars. The same thing with the same thing with like spirits. You know, a lot. You know, a lot of people in this industry are heavy bourbon people, heavy scotch people, and I'm I'm just like I. I mean, I'm drinking a bourbon right now but um i like everything I'm, I'm a big fan of tequila and cigars that's kind of like me, where me too me too I, I i traditionally for tequila i i tend to steer towards a lot of the uh depends summer days hot summer days i'll do a you know a silver a good silver on ice yeah but then with a little bit of chill in the air and when i say a little bit doesn't happen a lot in Miami, but it's happening tonight. Um, I'll do an extra añejo or an añejo tequila, which I can just sip on, which will give me that that heat that I'm looking for that I'm not getting from the weather outside. No, absolutely. I, the rep, reposado is probably my jam when it comes to tequila. Um, you know, I, I probably gravitate more towards that. But yeah, silver on ice, uh, especially on a, when it's really hot, just I, I it hits the spot. You know, but this kind of plays into what I was was I was going to talk, what I kind of alluded to earlier when we were talking about nerding out, mm -hmm. and 
and and this is something that as is you know I've had the opportunity to interview you once before and I've certainly you know visited a number of interviews that you've done and I've I, and certainly you 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 don't necessarily hold the franchise on this there's plenty of people in the industry that kind of nerd out on the details but like I said before earlier and I'm not trying to degrade anybody but sometimes you think it's kind of a little bit more uh maybe playing to the crowd or a little nuance, but because you've been doing it for a long time. I, I mean, I went back to some interviews that you did print interviews that you did 10, 15 years ago. And like you're, you were talking about primings then and, yeah. and the, the level of detail in terms of like the quality that you, and the, 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 the manufacturing of the cigar and like, so, I mean, it's something that you really pay attention to. Um, and, and I'm sure, like I said, you, you you certainly don't hold the franchise on it. I mean, that's that this is an industry no. of details, but but you, you really kind of dove into it early and kind of kind of have had held fast to it as well. I mean, it's 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 never left you. Is that fair? I, I think yeah. I I think for me, um, I was I was really just outspoken about it early on because coming into this industry, there were so many like. For lack of better words, there were so many secrets of like what went into a cigar. You know, why is that? Why is that cigar so special? Or why did you like it? And I believe the educational thing. You know, education's power. You know, knowledge is power. And when when you know what's going into a product, you 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 can get into it more. You can understand it better. Uh, I think that's why musicians when they listen to different types of music, they can get into it a little bit more because they know what's going on. With cigar smokers, way back when, it's like no one told you what rapper it was. No one told you anything about the cigar. Um, that's I, I was very adamant about, like if anything ever changed, I was going to make sure that people knew that something was going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, like the early days where you're using Corojo from a supplier, Uh, for a wrapper and the wrapper just wasn't performing well. So we had to look for an alternative and we found Habano Ecuador from Oliva. And that's what changed uh, in Tatuaje. And I made sure that people knew that it's no longer Corojo 99, it's Habano Ecuador. Um, I think it's important for consumers to understand or to know what's going into the cigar that way they they kind of get more involved in it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just a personal thing for me. No, and I think that I think that should be to commend it, because I think, like you said, there are a lot of like secrets in this industry, and there, you know, that's that's always like a favorite. You know, we're talking about debates earlier. That's a favorite debate inside of cigar lounges everywhere. Is you know talking about oh this cigar tastes different than the original or this is, and you've always been able to say yeah it does. Of course it does. So we're talking about a vintage product here and you know you strive of course and have achieved to an exceptional level consistency over the years especially with your core competency but like that you know you've you've also never never shied away from that fact and that you're you're one of you are one of the few people that do that and i think you i think you deserve credit for that yeah i, I think it was even even in the early days when i was telling certain things about you know, what was going into the cigar. I, obviously, we're not going to give you all the secrets because there are certain things that we just won't tell you. I mean, yeah, we'll say high priming, 
whatever, you know, we might say a high priming Lajero, obviously Lajero is a high priming, right? But I might say it's from Jalapa, but I'm not going to tell you all the details because I don't want the whole blend to be out there. But I, I am confident to know that if I give that blend, the exact blend of something out there, that they're still not, no one's going to be able to recreate it exactly because they don't have access to the same farms that I've worked with. So, you know, I think what pissed me off early in the early days, even having the brand by this time, but when I would, I would see people start talking about, Hey, yeah, I got this new Jalapa Rosado wrapper. And I'm like, you didn't tell me anything. It's from Jalapa and it's a color of Rosado. What's, what's the seed? You know, they, 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 but to the point where people were like, Oh, Rosado, man, that Rosado seed is amazing. I'm like, no, dude, it's not a seed. Rosado is a color, like plain and simple. It's a color. It comes from Jalapa, you know, that particular wrapper that that guy's talking about happens to come from Jalapa, which is a great region for wrappers. And it, it happened to be Rosado and shade, but he didn't tell you anything, anything else. Is it Criollo 98? Is it Criollo 99? Is it Havano? What is it? Like tell the consumer because the consumer is going to get more involved and get more behind the product if they know more about what you do. Yeah, I, I remember speaking of Rosa, I remember having that discussion once, uh, actually, you know, in the humidor at Michael's where a consumer was like, oh, I'm a big fan of Rosado. And I was like, well, which one? And like, no, Rosado. And I was like, well, Rosado is a, you know, not that's that's not a type of tobacco. It's not like, you know, <laughs> Ecuadorian or, you know, you know, Corojo or anything like that. So and to your point, and and, and so it, it ended up being one of one of the most memorable discussions that I've had in the humor, because then a lot of other people chimed in and it just became this, this really, really great discussion in the humidor. And it was, it was really fantastic. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. And I, I, I certainly miss it for sure. Um, but I think that's, like you said, it's one of those things when you educate uh, consumers and you educate people, it, it, it really, it, it really brings the fun out in this, you know, that, and it's funny, you talked about, you don't want to give away too much of the secret because you don't want to give away the recipe. And I, that's, that was one of the things that I, I, I thought that was really cool, like about like some of Steve Saka's earlier uh, projects. Like he went into some like exceptional level of detail. I'm like, man, like someone could totally just rip this off, you know? And and I, uh, but but obviously there's not there's really tricks though. of the yeah, yeah. I was gonna say there's obviously tricks of the trade and things that you guys you know as manufacturers and blenders only know. Um, and I and I know you've always been very quick to to give the, all the credit where the credit is due. That um, yeah, uh, to to your father-in-law and, and and to your brother-in-law who just uh, do an exceptional job there at uh, at my father. So, um, but yeah, that it was just an observation that I found. Like as I was as I was kind of preparing for the show in the last few weeks, and actually even longer than that, even preparing for the show, just something that I observed about you was just the, the level of detail that you that you paid very early on before it kind of became became a quote unquote thing. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really trying to romance the product. It was really trying to give the consumer details. I mean, listen, you you know when you you drink a lot of bourbon, it's usually a high, you know, it's a high wheat base or a high corn base right so you kind of understand where that's going but they don't give you the exact recipe of what their their mash bill is right although if you go to buffalo trace they'll tell you that they have like five mash bills and that you know 
Blanton's and and Pappy are the same mash bill, but they happen to sit in a different room. That's it, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, and it it just goes to that you know that that comment I made a second ago about Steve. I'm not certainly not I'm not disparaging it him for anything. And you made the great point, like how you you really can't because, I mean, it, it's it, it's incredibly hard what you do. It's incredibly hard. Um, I have it easy compared to what what Jaime and Pepin do. Exactly. But I no, would say I would I would actually give I would probably lean more credit towards Jaime because Jaime Jaime's the uh, you know Pepin's the master. He knows everything that's going on. But but Jaime's the guy that keeps all the glue. You know he's the glue that keeps everything running and keeps everything going, keeps it all together. And without without his knowledge of being an agronomist. You know, there's certain things that, you know, even when you look at Pepin being the Wahiro of the family, the, the old guy that just walks on the farm and can look at something and say, we need to do it wrong. Jaime knows all the technical parts of being able to fix it. Pepin knows the Wahiro version, you know, the, the, the farmer, the countryman version of like, I, I think we need to do this. Jaime gets a little bit more technical and he he knows how to fix something the right way. So I, I give a lot of credit to Jaime because he busts his ass. Uh, and a lot of people don't like someone asked me the other day, like, who would you say is kind of the unsung uh, cigar maker or blender in the cigar industry? And I said, Jaime Garcia, because he doesn't get enough credit. Like he just doesn't like everybody loves the Jaime Garcia cigar, but, no one knows how much work that man does. So I got to give Jaime props. No, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think that's, I think, yeah, if you pulled, you know, pulled a hundred cigar smokers, I, I, you know, I think, yeah, I, you know, and gave them like a couple of spots and everything. And I know you've always held them in high regard and everything. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think he makes enough lists like to put a word oh, on yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that for sure. I'll give you another one. Uh, this is like a personal one for me. Um, when it comes to art in our industry, like created creativity and artistry, and you know, I, I do things on Illustrator, so it's it's not it's cheating at art in a sense, you know, because I Illustrator I became well versed on, and I'm able to to do box art for my boxes really easy. But my, my boxes are very simple. You know, they're not over the top crazy. But when you think about artistry, Alcides Montenegro, who is my, uh, my wife's cousin, who is the GM here in, in uh, Miami, he does all the art for everything that the, my father family does. Every, oh, wow. When I say all the art, it's, it's all done by hand first in large format. And then they digitize it and bring it down and vectorize it into Illustrator. And they, they work from there. Like, he's just a super talented artist. And no one's ever given him credit. So I'm going to say this right now that I think that he's one of the best artists in our industry when it comes to cigar art. I love, since he's, since he's the man behind it, it all, I love what he did with um, forgive the term i just can't think of a better one at the moment the my fatherizing of the fonseca line of what he did I yeah, thought it was, yeah, I thought yeah. it was brilliant i thought it was absolutely brilliant 
yeah, that went through a lot of stages. But uh, when he showed us the, when he showed us the the version that he was working on, I I was like, obviously, I'm I'm not involved in the sense of like I make decisions for the family, but I'm always with my wife, and and the, the conversation always comes up to like, what do you think? And I'm like, he fucking nailed it, like. Like I think to the my fatherizing of Fonseca is, is actually the perfect term for it because he really he really did make it he really did make it a my father product but it's still it's still that Fonseca that you you would think about history of Fonseca just with a my father twist. Yeah, it was really I I I really applauded. I thought it was I thought it was terrific and and the cigars have been like like I said I'm really big fan of the of the cedar wrap version of it, but it was just, just phenomenal. But one of these other projects that you were working on down there, now this is another, again, another redux, um, mm -hmm. but the, uh, the bringing back of the old man in the sea. So. Yeah. Uh, so the old man of the sea is, is technically not a redux because it's a new version of the old man of the sea. This is a Fausto. Fausto. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people, I mean, this is, this is where, you know, obviously I'll, the consumer side, you know, I, I listen to everybody and there's not a lot of times where I do things because the consumers are saying, Hey, can you do this? But I listened to the sense that people were digging the Fausto blend and they really liked the Fausto Lancero in the sampler box, but they wish they could get more of them. And it was a way for me to bring back the old man of the sea, but offer that Fausto Lancero in a different a different style. So you'll get the one Fausto Lancero in the box next to the three Culebras. The, the first three people that, that smoked the, the Fausto, Lanc uh, the Fausto uh, Culebra were uh, myself, uh, Jaime Garcia, and Gustavo Cura from, from Oliva Tobacco. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was really excited when I saw it because I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Fausto blend. Um, it the Faust, you know, we have the, we've always had the saying at at at, uh, at Michael's, um, you know, because there, you know, one of life's greatest blessings is working in a cigar shop uh, when you can, you know, you have the cigar world technically at your fingertips, and uh, it's also the greatest curse too, because sometimes you walk in there and it's like, what do you smoke today? Yeah, and then we have <laughs> we have this phrase at Michael's, it's when in doubt, Fausto. Yeah, wow. and I like and that. And it's and it's something that's it, with Tracy Spence, you know, who you know very well, yeah. was the would kind of laid that on me, and and it, it's never let me down because I've had that 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 I've been at the apex of that decision several times, and I'm like, okay, just rely on the old adage that we have here, and and it 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 just never lets you down. So I was really excited about the old man in the sea with the 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 Fausto and everything. So before we kind of get into the the details of why. Um, bringing the back the project and with this even though you just kind of talked touched on a little bit i'm interested do you know do you do you happen to know the origin of how the why culebras actually came to be because there's actually a couple of theories out there and i wanted to know if you knew a different one i was going to share the two that i know of but well, i was wondering I mean, if you knew i i heard one recently and i i did not know this i heard it came from indonesia i think originally that is um, one the but, Philippines. you know, it was always the story of the rollers uh, at the factory were allowed to take a certain amount of cigars with them a day mm -hmm. uh, for their personal use, but they couldn't take production cigars and they would twist them up like that in a braid 
and those were their three cigars that they could take or something like that. I don't know. I, I think I forgot more of the story than I know anymore, but uh, the Indonesian one, I think, was really one I learned most recently because I didn't really go deep diving on that. You know, for me, it was always, you know, Cuba kind of started it, but it wasn't really Cuba, so. Yeah, that, that is actually one of the, ver the versions I've heard. So yeah, so the idea, the concept was, is they, they didn't want cigar uh, rollers to take produ you know, regular production items home where they were just stuffing in their pockets. So you were allotted like three a day or whatever, or allotted whatever. And the idea was that, okay, well, if we twist them into a Calabra, like no one's going to want to buy these ugly looking cigars. Yeah. So those are the ones you get. And um and the other the other story that I heard was there was this other story out of the Philippines that, you know, if by making them into the Calabra, they it would somehow help the cigars mature faster, which, of course, is a bunch of hogwash. Um, but it was it, it was an interesting, at least when you're talking about very early <laughs> scientific development, an interesting thought, you know. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I could see it. I, it I don't know. I think there's there's that there's where you you find that there's so much romance in this industry. You don't know what the real story is anymore. <laughs> so to go back to the original old man in the sea, and then obviously the this new take on it. You know, or, again, was it just the homage to history that you wanted to that you wanted the opportunity to, or was it something that really just excited you about this really truly unique, um, well, you know, take on it. You know, it was funny because Dion and I, uh, we, we would literally text and talk pretty much every day. I had already had my brand for three or four years by the time Dion came out with his brand. And literally at the same time, Dion be like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm like, shit, dude, I'm doing the same thing right now. Stuff like that. Like we would end up. He, it, it, to the point where one day he, he texted me, he goes, we're not allowed to talk to each other for a while because we seem to somehow through mental telepathy, we're coming up with the same shit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got a giggle out of it. And he had come up with a Culebra for, for his uh, Illusioni line. And I said, don't worry, dude. I, if I do a Culebra, I'll do it way later down the road after you've had, you know, your time selling a ton of Culebras. And then George Brightman, um, who was one of my, what I would say a mentor in the industry for me, um, came to me one day and says, I have an idea for you. It's called Old Man in the Sea. I want you to take the Casadori that you do and then do a Calabra of the Casadoris. And the old man is the, the one Casadori next to a Calabra of Casadoris. And the factory had never done a Culebra before. And I didn't see the comfort level of trying to, to braid a six and three eighths cigar, even though I know Cuba's done it with like the Partagas, which is even shorter. Davidoff's done it with a, a shorter cigar with a bigger ring gauge also. I thought the Lancero made more sense because the Lancero is definitely one of those old man cigars. So George kind of gave me the, the, the pitch and I kind of rolled with it in my own, in my own fashion of saying, okay, the Lancero makes more sense. And when you take the Lancero and make a Culebra out of it, it's going to, it's going to be really ugly. 
you know, <laughs> when you pull out one of those, one of those sticks out of that culebra, it's going to have a nice little bend to it. So I, it, it just, it, it all stemmed from George though. I mean, he gave me the, the Casadori. The C was supposed to be the, and the Casadori and the Culebra. But uh, I, I just figured the Lancero made more sense. More special, I guess. Hands down, one of my, fav- my favorite interviews in the cigar industry, period. Not just with you, period, is George interviewing you. Yeah, and- I, 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 love, I love talking with George. I mean, you know, I said I was a C minus student. When I'm around George, I feel like, you know, maybe an F student because he's got <laughs> so much knowledge. And, and my knowledge is, is cigars and, and some about music, but he's like, he's the book of everything. Like he, he knows, he knows a lot of everything. And some of it might be useless knowledge, but it's still fun. You know, it's fun to listen to him. It's just fun to, to hear him talk because you always pick up something from him. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that to, to actually to actually meet that gentleman. I, I just yeah, I've, I've always been a, I've been a fan of his. And that, by, like I said, by far one of my favorite interviews, period, in the cigar industry was the, the interview that he did with you. Um, still, I think it's still climbing, uh, still getting a ton of views on YouTube and stuff. It's just it's just. It's, and it's, I think at this point, I think it's over 12 years old. It's just, it's just awesome. Yeah. Super old. Um, Actually, the, la- the first one I did with him, I think it might have been closer to nine or 10 years old now. So I knew it was up there. Yeah. I was at least, a, yeah, I was going to say about a decade for sure. The first. Yeah. And I've known George for 28 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I met him at my first job, actually, at Gus's Smoke Shop. And, Studio City, California. He was actually out in Los Angeles doing some work for Cigar Aficionado, where he used to work at one time. And uh, I started kicking up a conversation with him, and I realized that the guy knew more about you know everything in the cigar industry, and he, and he was kind of part of like the early stages of uh, Project X from Planet Nine. So I mean, he's been around the block many times you know what project x from planet nine is right uh no but i'm hoping you're gonna enlighten me that was the original nickname for opus x i'll be damned yeah now that you said it's ringing very 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 vague bells but yeah yeah Yeah, if you'd given me 100 guesses right then i would have missed them all um (laughs) but yeah no very vague bells setting off there that's that's awesome um so to uh first of all i lit up my second cigar for the night um and i know he's watching so i want to give credit where credit's due uh to our a mutual friend of ours we were talking about michael's a second ago uh austin borstead um yep. he's a you know a, uh, has been uh you know guy in your corner for as i mean as long as i've known him and probably as long as he's been smoking cigars i think he's he's always been a He's always been a Tatawahe guy. Um, and uh, this cigar that I'm smoking right now, uh, I, I would not be some, probably probably not be enjoying as much or smoking uh, if it weren't for him because he pointed he originally pointed me to it. Um, 
and I've been smoking, I've been smoking cigars longer than Austin. And, uh, he, he pointed me to it and that's the, the J 21 reserve. So, um, and J 21 uh, Johnson, two, two meanings to that name, Johnson 21, because 21 was our, our number that we used in all our sports when we were younger. Mm-hmm. It started with my brother, obviously, because he was the oldest, uh, even though he likes to call himself Pete's younger brother. Um, <laughs> so what, by the time I got into, uh, you know, sports, I would start using the number 21. Also, it, it stemmed from our love of Roberto Clemente, actually. We we're all Roberto Clemente fans. And uh, that's where the 21 comes from. But uh, it also, at the same time that I was working on this cigar, a, a buddy of mine had a, a dog named Joss that was 21 years old when she passed. Oh, my gosh. And, and she passed, literally, I don't know how she lasted so long. And she passed uh, right around the same time I was doing it. I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to call it J21. It's going to have a couple of meanings to it, but one of them is Josh 21. So that's, I haven't talked to this guy, Billy in a while, Billy Bacon's his name, but uh, I, I got to believe that J21 is probably still one of his favorite cigars. It's, it's definitely one of my favorites that you make. And yeah, I'll, I'll props to Austin for, for pointing me in that direction a, a long time ago. Um and uh, he's he's certainly taken his support to an, to another level because uh, uh, he's uh, he's got he's the proud owner of uh, of a license plate in a certain state that uh, that sports <laughs> uh, that sports your name, Tatuaje. I I know I saw it. You, you guys have cool plates in Texas, so that that uh, that plate is all black and white. I loved. I was like, okay, it couldn't be a more fitting license plate. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it was uh, pretty cool. It was shared uh, to me. Uh, or, uh, frankly, I, I just found out about this evening. It was shared by, by another friend of ours, uh, Brandon Payne, who shared it with me. He's like, "Hey, have you seen? Did you see that he got awesome a plate?" I was like, "Yeah," and, and he's like, "Look at the plate," and he sent me a picture of it. I was like, "That's," I was like, "That's awesome." So uh, it's totally fitting. I love it. It's perfect. Um, so this is uh, the part of the show uh, where we have a little bit more, a little bit more fun. These are some of our more fun segments, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's this is our one must go. Uh, so you didn't participate in the last time that we uh, we had the privilege of having you on here, Pete. But um, so as always, one must go is brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and a highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. So smoke one today and start living united. Now, I because you know because you're a very special guest, Pete. We're going to do a triple dose of this, and it's very. <laughs> I try to. I try to. Uh, I try to make it a, appropriate for my guest each week, and uh, so we're going to go three, kind of almost rapid fire of one must go. But the concept is, is I give you three things, and mm-hmm. one's got to go. Plain and simple, one's got to go, uh, and you can interpret it however you want. It's a completely open ended thing, but this is meant to be fun. So. Um, We've been talking a lot about spirits tonight and cigars, obviously, but, you know, obviously one of your claims to fame is your love of wine. And yeah. uh, you've actually even made your, um, and made and bottled your own wine, uh, which I actually have had the privilege of drinking, which was actually fabulous. Uh, really loved it. Um, and so, so we're going to go three tiers here and I've grouped them specifically in a different way. Uh, it didn't go terribly scientific here, but we're going to go, French wine regions. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so here's your first grouping. Okay. So out of these three, 
You have to, one this must is, go. This is an easy one for me. So the first grouping is the Alsace, and I'm going to butcher some of the, even though I took French. Alsace. Uh, for, Alsace, which yeah. is known for their Pinot Gris, Riesling, and uh, Grimont d'Alsace. Uh, mm -hmm. The second region is Champagne, which is obviously known for Champagne. Uh, and then the third one, which I have a feeling is probably going to be the one that stays, is going to be the Loire Valley, which of course is known for Sauvignon Blanc, Shannon Blanc, and one of my personal favorites, Cabernet Franc. Which I'm a huge fan of the Loire Valley Cabernet Francs. I think they're fantastic. Okay, so this is a tough one uh, because I actually thought I, you were going to go with different regions. Um, oh, man. I, I'll say I'll get rid of Alsace. And that's okay. tough because it, it was getting rid of either Loire or Alsace. Really? I thought Loire would be the absolute one that stays. It depends. Uh, no, yeah, Alsace. So are you, are you, well, obviously, I mean, are you a fan of champagne or is there another part of champagne that you really just and really enjoy? No, I, I actually enjoy champagne. I don't drink it a lot. My wife does. Um, sure. it, it, the bubbles get to me, but I still love the character of it. And I still love uh, how different from bottle to bottle you can get. Uh, not from the same producer, but from different producers. There's a lot out there. There's so many bottles of champagne underneath the the uh, the main city, which is uh, Reims, or yeah, uh, which is R E I M S. Um, it's just like it's kind of looks like a little bit of an industrial city, but underground there's like you know, I don't know, you know, thirty billion bottles of fucking champagne. <laughs> Not that many, but there's a lot underneath the city well I, yeah so many people like you know they gravitate towards the like the name brands you know like the cristal or the um you know Ber uh behringer or obviously dom perignon right the yeah yeah uh, the big Hollinger, excuse me um you know i uh yeah i, I thought this was going to be I, i'm surprised that you were considering kicking loire valley out i just thought that that would be one that you because you're a big fan of Cabernet Franc too, right? Or am I? Am I? Completely... Well, yeah, I am. I am, and there are some Cabernet Francs from that region that I absolutely love. But there are some Cabernet Francs from that region that are so overly funky that you have to get used to them. And when I first experimented with that region, especially with Cabernet Francs, um, I was a little turned off by the funk. But the older I get, I actually enjoy that funk. And uh, to the point where I told Dan from New Havana, I said, let's start a podcast um, <laughs> specifically based off of wine, not cigars, okay. just okay. based off of wine. And I wanted to call it Bring Out the Funk. And it was all about finding wines around the world that might be overly funky, that you you want to kind of bring people's attention to it and try to get them to understand why they are the way they are. Um, it was a joke one day where it, was, it all started last year during this whole zoom boom, right? Right. <laughs> like, what can we do when we're, we're stranded at home and the, the bring out the funk with Dan would have been, would have been a lot of fun, but it was, it was um, wine based. I, I we were going to try to get away with it with doing no cigars. I, I still would have watched. Absolutely. I would have been thoroughly entertained for sure. 
So if you ever want to, if you ever want to uh, bring that back up to him, I, I you, you definitely have one subscriber, uh, and I'll, 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 I'd sign up for sure. All right. Very so cool. grouping two. Now I think this one's going to be a little bit harder. And then, but again, I thought the other one was going to be easy, but apparently I was missed off. So <laughs> the second, so uh, the second grouping is Burgundy, which is of course known for their Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, which I'm also a huge fan of Pinot Noir. Uh, Beaujolais. Uh, big, uh, Gamay is, uh, is a big, uh, big uh, variant out of that region. And Bordeaux, which of course very infamous for their their own blends in the Semillon uh, Semillon Blanc and uh, Saturnade uh, variants as well. So Bordeaux, Beaujolais, and Burgundy, three Bs. Which one goes? That's an e that's an easy Beaujolais. Okay, why uh, why is it so easy? I I have a a love for both Bordeaux and Burgundy. I've never been to Burgundy. I've I've joked about driving to Burgundy. Actually, Dan and I were in Bordeaux, uh, goofing around, and we 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 decided to travel down to the coast of Bordeaux, like just south of Bordeaux, to see this giant sand dune in this one area. And when we got done with the sand dune, which took us, you know, that was about an hour out of our trip, of like, okay, we're we're up here. Let's go back down. Let's get back in the car. And we started like literally GPSing places to go. And we punched in Burgundy. It was way too far. So we're like, yeah, well, let's skip that one. <laughs> we're like, we could drive all the way there or we could go back to the Chateau and drink. <laughs> we went back to the Chateau. Yeah, Bordeaux would never leave my heart. Yeah, I was going to say, I, that, that's, this is the one I thought. I, I, that's exactly the way I went. I just, I was like, man, if I, if I started playing the assumption game here, I'm going to keep losing. But no, that, 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 one, that one played out exactly the way that I thought. All right, so final grouping. Um, which will give you an idea of which ones are out because I'm going to tell you which one, which two regions I actually left out. Okay. Uh, the less fancy named Southwest version, which is also known for its Bordeaux blends. And actually a Malbec I found was actually very popular in the Southwest region. And uh, Corsica, which is a big rosé place. Those two I left out of this. So the third grouping, uh, which I, again, I think I have an idea, but again, could be wrong. The Rhone Valley, which of mm -hmm. course is known for Rhone uh, variants, Syrah and the Marsan Rosan uh, variants. Uh, the Rosan region uh, province, which is near Nice for if people are want to play the geography game, which is also known for Rosé, uh, similar to Corsica. Uh, and then I'm going to butcher this, Pete, and you can help me out here. Uh, uh, the Languedoc uh, Ro Rosion, which is also known for its Rhones, Rosé and Cremant de la Mieux. Yeah, I would uh, probably go with Roson. That one's got to go? Yeah, I mean, only because the Languedoc has so many choices. And a lot of great uh, rosés come out of the Languedoc. Um, and then the Rhone Valley is just special. I mean, Rhone, Rhone Syrahs are... If, you, if you've never had an Hermitage, you, you're missing something. Because it's it's a it's one of those wines that will just kind of like take you to a different level. But okay. what's cool about all those regions, mm -hmm. all of them make like their own versions of pretty much everything. Like Burgundy has a Cremant, which is which is fabulous. It's just like it's it's a champagne of a Burgundy, right? But they mm -hmm. can't call it champagne, right? Um, 
there's rosés in all those regions, which I can tell you, I've had some fabulous uh, Bordeaux rosés. I've had some fabulous uh, Burgundy rosés, uh, Rhone rosés. I mean, so they all do what every region does. They're just more specialized in certain varietals, obviously. Uh, but to, tr to taste rosés from all those regions, if you go to Burgundy and you do a Pinot rosé, and then I'll go to Bordeaux and you do a, you know, a rosé that was made out of Merlot or Cabernet, and then, or Cabernet Franc even, and then you go to uh, the Rhone and have a rosé that's done with, with Syrah base in it. You're, they're, they're so different, but they're still basing off the same style. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's such good wine over there. It's crazy. And that's the same thing with the United States. So there are so many different regions where I pick, you know, certain wines over others. Uh, obviously, I'm going to do Cabernet. I'm going to go to Napa. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to do uh, Zinfandel, I might go to the Lodi, Lodi area or even or even Paso Robles, which is makes some fabulous Zins. Um, but every once in a while, you can find some Napa Valley Zin that will blow your head off. I'm a big fan of uh, Zins from Lodi, particularly like Old Vine. Uh, yeah, vine zins from Lodi tend to be just, just I just think they're spectacular. Uh, the uh, it's interesting. My love of Bordeaux actually um, can be attributed to you because uh, I, I I remember not paying too much attention for, for whatever God knows what reason. I mean, it's it's in in very I would infamous say probably, probably more people are scared of Bordeaux because they think of the name Bordeaux and they think they're going to end up overpaying for wine, but there are some great values in that region. And there, there are a lot of sub-regions within that still fall in the Bordeaux Superior group, but they're just sub-regions of the most famous regions. So like, you know, if you want expensive wine, that's really good. You go to Margot or Poyac or, or San Estef, but if you go just to the Madoc area where, where that covers all those areas, there's some great inexpensive Madoc wines, which end up, you know, becoming what they call Bordeaux superiors or just Madoc regions. Um, same thing with uh, the right bank with San Emilion and Pomerol. I love Pomerol. I love San Emilion. But if you step, you know, five kilometers uh, out into Cote de Castillon or what they call Cote de Bordeaux uh, now, um, there's fabulous wines for, for pennies on the dollar compared to the stuff that's being produced in San Emilio. I, I think that, you know, and, and actually I, you know, I, I said, I attributed my, my fascination and, and, and likeness for Bordeaux because of you, I, I think, I think fr French wine in general, actually, uh, I started getting more into it um, because of you specifically. Um, just because I know you, you're, you've, you, I mean, you, you've talked about it very early on, and, um, and I just remember getting into it because of you. And I, I just found, I, I found this, this, this world of this, this, you know, kind of, you know, this world which you know the entire wine drinking world already obviously knows about. Um, but if for you know, when you're on your own journey of self discovery, it, it's, you know, you have your own journey of self discovery, and so it, it's been, it's been really fantastic, kind of going through all the different regions of France and just trying a lot of these, these, these ones that, you know, are, are can, 
are infamous to these regions, but even like you said, there's like these really great, these really great wines that come from these regions where they're not known for it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see a lot of wine regions all over the world that are that are dabbling in varietals that are not the most popular varietal for the region, but they still make amazing wines because uh, I don't know. For me, with with Bordeaux and France for wine, it's it's really about history, and I can't I can't leave out Italy when it comes to the history of wine either. Uh, Italy's uh, got even more history going on right and there's some amazing wines but italy's so tough there's so many different areas of italy and even in the strangest areas where you think you're supposed to get a certain style of grape you end up getting a bottle of merlot from that area and you're like what the (laughs) like this is crazy i i I don't know the wine world is there's there's just too much out there no one could ever know it all I mean, even the sommeliers have trouble, you know, knowing every single, every single thing that's out there. And there's just too much of it. Oh, indeed. Indeed. That's crazy. But that was our one must go segment. Thank you, Pete, for going triple tier, man. We went, uh, we went through those, man. So I, I, but I, I, I just, uh, I thought it would be a fun exercise and it, uh, it certainly proved to be so. So that was our one must go segment. As always, it's brought to you by United Cigars. Uh, smoke one today and start living United, uh, distributors of the uh, Jose Dominguez, Bandolera, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. And of course, featuring the La Giana Havana cigar. Smoke one today and start living United. Now, Pete, I'm going to give you court here because this next segment is uh, something that's become a my it it really has become my favorite segment on the show. I've really enjoyed this project um, that I launched on my birthday back in October, where I've given my guests um, the opportunity to spotlight and discuss um, nonprofits or charities of their choosing uh, that they want to bring attention to, maybe even raise some money for some great causes. Um, your brother and Dan had a, uh, we had, we did a double dose of charities, uh, when they were on my show, uh, a couple months back and it was uh, fantastic. Um, so this is when I posed this to you, I, I had an idea of where it was going. Um, but as I got more into it, I was just, uh, just enamored by the story, but I don't want to, I don't want to steal any of the spotlight from you. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually step away for a second. Nothing's wrong with my connection. I'm going to step away for a second, but I want you to talk about your charity and why it is so important to you. Yeah, I mean, Gulfstream, uh, Guardian Angels, Rottweiler Rescue here in Miami. Um, to me, I mean, Rottweilers mean a lot to me. They, they've been my dog of uh, my dog breed of choice since I was, uh, wow. Since my first Rottweiler I ever I ever got when I, when I was 21 years old in Los Angeles. And uh, I have never had a home without a Rottweiler in it. And when I was doing a podcast with Bovida, actually. They asked me the same thing. And th- I knew about Gulfstream Guardian Angels down here in, in Miami, but I had not started to support them yet. And what happened was Bovida decided to do this whole thing where they wanted to, to kind of tie into the whole K222 thing and for every so much money they would raise, um, I would end up matching it. And 
that that's where it all started for for Tatuaje and me supporting Gulfstream. Um, since then, I can continually contribute to the, the to the charity just because I believe in what they do. The people really care about the breed, and they really care about uh, dogs that need uh, need help. You know, I always say, you know, they're obviously the uh, they don't have a voice, and uh, we're their voice for them, and they're doing great work that I'm I'm happy to support, and I'm I'm thankful for you for bringing it to people's attention on your podcast um, because it uh, it's definitely one of those one of those nonprofits that I, I lean towards because I know they need it and, and they get all the money that that's being contributed, which is really cool because I, I you know, as much as we can say shit about Facebook, uh, the Facebook, uh, the ease of doing a Facebook charity uh, or contri- contributions from Facebook charities are very easy. Facebook, I think covers all the, the expenses for the transaction fees and they give all the money to, the organization which is really nice otherwise every once in a while i just pay pound of them money <laughs> so it's an important it, i mean they, they being a, a a dog lover and a rottweiler specific dog lover um i uh i was looking for something that that i knew i could help out with and uh it's 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 thrilling to see the work they're doing and it's actually nice to see when the dogs get you know get their forever home so this is a really a personal subject for me too and uh before i I'm, I'm posting it in the chat the if you if you if anyone in our audience feels so called um you know please consider donating to this amazing cause uh, um and I'm, I'm posting it i'm posting the link in the chat right now um but you can go back to the previous post uh there was the advertisement for tonight's show and there's a donate button on that uh, for uh, Gulfstream Guardian Angels. Um, it just, uh, and I'm pleased, um, Pete, I, I'm, I'm sure you saw it. I'm so pleased in the amount of, I mean, we've raised over $1,000 um, already. Well, I, uh, I will say that the one big donation was for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I kind of I killed my old donation uh, concept by, by being the one that, that donated. But uh, it was it was an easy way for me to make sure that the that the organization got more money. I had just sent them money uh, two weeks ago, anyways. But uh, I think it was like two weeks ago. But uh, I figured this is a great way to give them a little bit more. And then, of course, my wife decides to use it as her uh, fundraiser for her birthday, which is right. coming up on Tuesday. So I, I think well. I, on her pace, so she might even beat ours. <laughs> My wife's more popular than I am, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually donated on both. Um, I, as I've as I've promised and pledged uh, every week, I'm I'm making a, a small donation as well um, to each each charity that's brought to the attention of my guests. Uh, it's something that my wife and I discussed, and uh, we you know we we you know we, you know when we're spreading out donations to every single charity, it, you know, unfortunately the the amount, the, the quantity definitely uh, is reflective of that spreading the love around, but it's something that we really wanted to, that we thought that was really important. Uh, yes. And I, I saw, I saw that your wife uh, did it for her birthday and I thought, I was like, Oh, this is fitting. This is beautiful. This is, this is, we're going to be able to raise a lot of money for, for a truly great cause. Now um, you're, you, you actually, you and uh, uh, Bovida are actually featured on their main page. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. They, that was really cool. 
I actually, I, I think it's really cool that they, they do that. But I, I was to the point where I was like, you know, you can take it down. Like you don't have to have it on your webpage constantly. I mean, the, the, that portion of the contribution was over, but they, they love the fact that the, that the cigar industry is actually being, I mean, the fact that uh, people in the cigar industry are, have been really supportive to their organization. So Saints and Sinners has contributed money to them, obviously through, through Tatuaje, myself a lot. And then now with my wife and what you did uh, this week, which was awesome. So we, we constantly try to find ways to help them out because I know the work that they're doing uh, is a lot of work and they get a lot of uh, contributions from the, the different animal hospitals that they work with. But uh, it's, you know, constantly, you know, we see that they need stuff for the, for their shelter dogs. And, uh, you know, they, they always put up a, a link on Amazon that says, Hey, you know, like a shopping list on Amazon for things that we can buy for them. So. Oh, that's really that, cool. Okay. Yeah. Need to yeah find Amazon, Amazon uh, allows uh, charities to like, you know, put up a shopping list and it will actually tell you like whether or not something's been fulfilled or not. Like they have like right now they needed dog food and dog beds and, and one of the bags of dog food that they needed, like they had three, three bags out of the seven that they needed type of thing. So if you don't want to donate uh, money, you can always contribute um, to them via one of their posts on their, uh, on their Facebook page that, that will actually give you a shopping list to, to buy things off. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm going to find that link and I'll put it in the show notes as well as the donate link too. And we've already have a couple of people pledging donations in the chat tonight. Just, just fantastic. Uh, well, I appreciate everybody that's doing that. It's really cool. I mean, you listen, man, donating to charities uh, is not for everybody. And I know a lot of people question whether or not the monies are going to actually go to the charity because mm-hmm. you hear about all these big charitable organizations where, you know, 30% of the money really goes to the charity and the rest goes into some executive pocket. But uh, wow. these people, these people utilize every, every dime that they get. So it all helps. True story. And, and about that, another true story that I was sexually kept is, is, is there one of their highlighted stories on this? I, I want to spend a little more time on this. I, I was, I, I mean, like I said, I had a feeling I knew where you were, the direction you were going to go, but I, I really just, I fell in love uh, with this organization's story, the work, I could see that the work that they're doing, uh, I know how passionate you are about it as well, uh, but it was a story, and I'm posting this in the chat too, it's about Susanna, which was a, oh. which was a Rottweiler that was found um, in a dumpster uh, there in uh, Miami, uh, this was, the story's a couple years old, but they still have it highlighted, it's just, I, I think it's a really great um tribute to in a, a high and, and i'm they probably have done hundreds of these re- types of rescues it's just it's it's horrific um it really is yeah. um um but horrific in the sense of the reality that Susanna found herself in but uh you know what a blessing to have an organization like gulfstream that you know could literally bring her back to health and uh you know in rehome her and, and, and hundreds of other uh, dogs to just loving homes. People are going to treat them right. Just like I know that you have for years, you've been a, 
you've always been a, a big Rottweiler fan, uh, from my understanding, right? That's that's always well, been a- animal lover in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rottweiler is obviously is you know my breed specific, but uh, but animals in general have always been a thing for me. Like it it goes back to the the first year that the CRA came out. Um, I went to the trade show and I donated a certain amount of money per box that I sold at the trade show to the CRA, but I also matched that dollar amount for the ASPCA at the time. But the ASPCA was, was kind of, it was kind of weird because like they didn't want to take money from anybody. They, they're like, well, how are you raising the money and, and why are you donating the money? And it, it, it kind of turned me off to the larger organizations because it's like, like I had to like send them a letter how I was raising the money and <laughs> why I was donating the money. And it was almost like they didn't want the money. Mm-hmm. And Carlito brought this up on, um, on Abe's show the other day about, about how he raised all, you know, Liana raised all this money for the cancer foundation. They, they, they didn't want the money because it was coming from a cigar company. Like, how could you not want to take money that could potentially help towards research uh, save to lives <laughs> to save lives. So that's why, that's why, you know, small organizations like, like GAR, I love the fact that it's called GAR, G-G-A-R-R, uh, is uh, I know that they, all the, all the people that work for them are, they're all volunteers. They just love the breed and they, they love animals and they want to do what's best for these animals that, that have no voice. So I know when I give them a thousand dollars here and there, it's, it's going to them to help these dogs. So I appreciate it. Um, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. And, um, you know, back in the, back in the fall, um, you know, as my audience knows and a lot of my close family and friends know, I, I, I lost, I lost my best friend, uh, yeah. Maya and uh wonderful dog that I had for, um, you know, over 15 years. And uh, she was a rescue and, um, and, you know, she was, she was actually rescued from a pretty horrific situation. She was found uh, chained to a, a stop sign by a police officer um, with several injuries. And uh, it was a horrific, horrific story. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it was really great to, to have her as part of my life for as long as I did. And yeah, it was, you know, I, you know, a lot of people really, I, you know, I put up a post a few days after, you know, we had to put her down and, and, um, you know, so many, so many people inside the industry, outside the industry, my close friends, family, so many people just reaching out and, uh, just expressing, you know, their, their, their sympathies and, you know, and, um, and, um, and, and I know all of them were for the heart, but when you, when you, you actually commented on the post, I knew, I knew it was from a person who really understood what I was going through. And it, yeah, yeah. it really just, it really meant, it meant the world to me. So I, Listen, man, to that. I appreciate that. But uh, for every time I see someone post on Facebook that they lost their pet, um, I, I know what it's like to lose a pet that, that means a lot to you. 
and I might not even know these people personally or maybe never even interacted with them on Facebook before, but somehow they, they ended up in my feed and it's, it's, for me, it's always, you know, something that I need to, to at least comment on, you know, to tell them I'm sorry for their loss because I understand it. It's, mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing. Trust me. Like <laughs> I've had some tough ones and uh, shit, man. I was having a conversation with Austin at Michael's Aulis when I thought uh, my, my dog Kona was literally um, like literally on his way out. And I, I went back to Los Angeles. Um, literally, I was having a conversation with Austin pretty much. I was almost in tears, but uh, I went back to Los Angeles and I, I did everything I could to make sure that he was comfortable. And we, we actually got him walking again he wasn't walking like he wasn't even able to move we got him walking again and we ended up having a few more treatments uh for some cancer that he had and uh i think easily he was around for another six months but it was you know we knew when the time was right that that, okay it was time to say goodbye but it's, it's not an easy thing to do trust me um, I feel everybody that that's lost a pet and, and that's going through the, the potential of having to lose a pet. Um, they, they kind of get lost a little bit and they don't know where to go. Um, I, listen, man, I don't, I, I've never had kids like, so like the, the dogs are my kids. Um, I, I do have three boys in this household that, uh, I consider my kids because I'm the only male figure around them that is around them all the time. Of course they have their uncle and their grandfather, but, uh, like, dude, I couldn't even imagine a parent having to go through, uh, situations with their, with a, a, a person. And I've, I've seen a lot of tough things with, uh, some of, some of my fan base on, on Facebook going through, a lot of tough times with their kids having medical issues. And it, I couldn't even imagine that. I mean, I know what I have to deal with, with my dogs, but I, I don't know how I react uh, if it was a, it was a, a person. I don't know. It's a tough subject. Yes. I, and I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, bringing, uh, you know, Gulfstream guardian angels uh, up as a subject tonight. This was uh I, I knew I knew I knew you would you'd bring a great organization and you really you really came through on this. I the first or, I, ironically at the 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 first show that I announced this 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 uh, that I announced this uh, this this new segment I was going to be doing I I picked the charity I did pick ASPCA so it's funny that you had an interesting story on it but no it it it, it is you're absolutely right there it, it is really kind of it, it's there's no other way to say it it's really sad that when you run into these charities and you, you really want to just, you want to make a difference and it, it's almost like they don't want to take your money. It's so bizarre. It's really weird. So. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've been pretty lucky uh, over the years where um, a lot of the charities that we donate to from saints and sinners have always been through people we know um, that were cigar smokers or cigar lovers. So they were more than welcome to, to take the donations. 
uh, one of them's uh, the Dear Jack Foundation, which was the uh, lead singer from uh, um, Jack's Mannequin, uh, Andrew, who went through a battle of uh, leukemia, and he uh, he started a, a foundation called Dear Jack, and we we've actually supported uh, his foundation for a few years um, because he would always hold a, a golf tournament uh, in Los Angeles, and we'd always do whatever we could from Saints and Sinners to help him out. That was that was actually a personal thing for Casper because Casper uh, used to be uh, Andrew's tour manager. So you said that's uh, Dear Jack is the name of the organization. The Dear Jack Foundation. Yeah. Okay. But I wrote that down. It's a small world because Casper was the the uh, tour manager for Andrew for years. Um, one of our other friends in the industry. Well, he's not in the industry, but he lives in DC and uh, he used to work. Uh, on tours and knew Casper from those tours. Uh, Adam DeAngelis, uh, he's a uh, he used to work for Jack's Mannequin also uh, on tour. And uh, the the easy connection was our accountants. Mine and Casper's accountant were were uh, Andrew's accountant. So they were more than more than happy to have a cigar company donate. It's hard again. It's hard to find bigger you know bigger organizations that want to take uh donations from cigar companies yeah it's you know tobacco bad right yeah exactly yeah tobacco bad (laughs) it's so unfortunate but uh i think we've got some good people that have donated tonight some hopefully some more will raise some great awareness for this great organization and uh and uh again can't thank you enough for bringing it to our attention um it's been fantastic so um, we, some other great subjects that I wanted to tackle tonight before we called it a night, Pete, uh, you know, you, you know, speaking of good, or, you know, speaking of good organizations that you've dedicated a lot of time, blood, sweat, tears, and into it is of course the, the PCA. Um, yeah. You, you've had continued commitment to it. I, I, um, CRA also. Of course. Absolutely. Um, one of, one of the, uh, one of the, best conversations that I had at the trade show a couple of years ago when the last trade show that we had um, was a very brief one with you, um, you know, right after it was at the, um, it was at the opening gala. Um, and it was right after the PCA had announced PCA, right? They, they were no longer at PCBR. And, and Cigar Con. And Cigar Con, right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, I, you know, asked you very, you know, very directly. I said, what, you know, what were your thoughts on it? And, uh, you know, without getting too much into the detail of it, you just said, I, I, I support the industry. And, and, you know, I, in, in a very bold move, I kind of, I pressed you on a little bit. I'm like, but what do you really think kind of, and, and, uh, and again, you weren't, you weren't being flippant. Uh, you just said very directly like bear, I support the industry. And we went into this, this great discussion of, you know, of, your commitment to to PCA CRA and the industry itself and 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 so I wanted to take a moment here you know again here we are two years later now almost two years later at this point and you um have not if anything you've uh you've reinforced that support um mm-hmm. uh, and so <laughs> sounds like such a silly question uh considering what you do for a living uh and your life's work but why is the why is it so important to you to be committed to this industry in the form of support for these two organizations? Oh man, uh, that's a loaded question, really, because 
I, I think if you're, if you're participating in this industry and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to put anything on the consumer level because the consumers support the industry by buying cigars. That's, that's really their support. They, they shouldn't, they shouldn't feel pressured to do much more than that because in the end, unfortunately, cigar prices are going to end up going up and the reflect is that the consumers, as long as they're still there helping buying the cigars from the manufacturers, then, then they're taking their share of the, the hit, right? Mm-hmm. For lack of better words, I guess. Um, but for the manufacturers and the retailers, I think it's super important that, that we're driving the support as much as possible because with, without these two organizations really fighting the battles, that we deal with, like the PCA is really great with state and local legislation. The CRA is dealing with the federal stuff and all the lawyers and the legal bills that are coming uh, our way. Um, we need as much support as possible and it has to be an industry-wide thing. It, it can't be just, you know, there's literally 14 companies that are that are pitching in a ton of money into the CRA and all that money goes to pay the lawyers that are helping us with the federal lawsuits. Like there's, there's no room to like have a party or anything else. Like there's literally all that money goes specifically to pay legal bills. And in the end, those, those legal bills end up fighting the fight where we end up seeing a couple victories, which were really good. We, we, think we're going to see some more victories in the future. I think the PCA, um, which what they do with the, you know, the local and the state stuff is important to keep on supporting them just because they're going to need those funds to go after with their, their in-house lobbyists to go after the state and local legislations that are constantly trying to kill our industry in every, in every form. So if you think about it, with the, you know, everybody's like, oh, the cigar industry is doing really great right now because sales are up and, you know, c- cigar smoking's up, you know, everybody's stuck at home. They, they're smoking more than they ever smoked. You know, people are selling more cigars than ever. But at the same time that that's happening, there's all these people that are so anti-tobacco that are every day pounding us with more tobacco taxes, more, you know, uh, age restrictions, more f- bans on on tobacco in in different formats, in different states, in different cities. They're nonstop, so we can't stop our fight. And I, that's why I'm so aggressive when it comes to contributing, uh, contributing to to these organizations because I I want them to have the funds to fight for the retailer and also what I do for a living because without, without the, the ability to do business, I have no business in the end without the ability to sell cigars, the consumers wouldn't be able to get the cigars that they want. That's why the consumers are doing their job just by purchasing cigars. Every time they purchase a cigar that, that helps 
the industry as a total. Uh, I wish that more companies um, outside of, you know, a couple handfuls that I know would, would support uh, a little bit more. That's why I was really pleased to see a small company like uh, Terrazona Cigars. Eddie Terrazona stepped up yeah. and, and threw in a $10,000 check for the PCA. I got to give him props, man. He's not a big company. Yeah. He's, he's probably on the smaller side of, of most companies, and he's put in more money uh, than most companies that I know that are, that are selling gangbusters in cigars right now. So I, I have to give Eddie, Ter Eddie Terrazona props for, for stepping up. And I, I wish there were more uh, smaller companies like him that would, would uh, push that button a little bit more. So or me calling out the rest of the industry. I was going to say, or even larger ones. Yeah, no, I, I was really surprised uh, pleasantly. Like you said, uh, when I saw that, I was really, I mean, that was, that was, that was a bold move. And uh, you know, I really got to hand it to him for, for making a stand like that. And, you know, I, um, you know, not to, in the end real quick in the end sure. for me, when it comes to the PCA, it's really about survival right now. And to me, the PCA, that organization is the one I grew up with. The CRA came later. Without the PCA, without a trade show, we lose our Super Bowl. You know, that's, that's the one thing that, that, that our industry looks forward to doing every year. And we, we've been stuck now for, well, which will be potentially two years where we won't have a trade show. Mm -hmm. um it's tough to to not to know that that we're not going to be able to get together and and all of us come together and support the industry right now i think it's the best time for everybody to get involved uh and do whatever they can in the smallest form to the largest form do whatever you can to support these two organizations because the, the contributions, the donations, they do matter and they all go to something bigger. And that's the livelihood of this industry. You know, not, not to, to stir the pot too much here, Pete, I'm really, I'm really not angling. Uh, I, I promise you, but um, you're, you're not the first person on my show to, to really bring up and, and call out, you know, not necessarily by name, but, but other, but other people in the industry for their non-support Alan Rubin, was very very passionate about uh you know the support that he's obviously levied and he he actually even put a number to it you know he said if if you know every cigar company you know just committed a thousand dollars a month you know yeah it's it's you know it's a it's a big deal it would be a it would be a monumental in the shift because i you know i did some quick math and, on it and it's not it's not a lot for for some of these companies no and trust I, me <laughs> yeah i did i did some quick math on it um, you know, cause we've, at the time we had levied about, I think that the total that they had was 7.6 million that the, the industry has levied against the fight, um, against regulation. And, um, and I did some quick math on it just based on the, you know, roundabout number that I had in my head. And I was like, well, if every company that I can think of donated a thousand dollars a month, that would, that would put it up to $6 million in just one calendar year. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would essentially almost double what we've committed to over the last three or four years. I mean, that would, that would be monumental. 
by putting that's why number, you see yeah. that's why you see the CRA packs that that uh, that the CRA is doing because that that's and that and I thank the consumers that are actually buying those packs because it's every time one of those packs is sold that raises a hundred dollars uh, per pack just for the CRA and when we when we sell six thousand packs that's six hundred thousand dollars that goes into the legal fund to pay the lawyers that are battling the federal the lawsuits for us. So I, you know, I have to thank every consumer that, that spends, you know, I think it's a $150. And then I know there's some retailers that actually kick in their portion of the profit mm -hmm. to the CRA, which is even, even better. Uh, we donate all the cigars for those packs. We don't make a dime off of them. Uh, so mm -hmm. not only are we donating money throughout the year, then we're donating cigars to raise even more money for the CRA. I just, again, I want, I want to see more people do it. I know there's, there's solid companies out there that, that aren't donating a dime. And I, this is my way of not naming names, but saying, Hey, step up, you know, the industry needs it. You're making a lot of money off of the industry and you're making money off of these consumers and you can't put the, the blame on the consumer because the consumer is paying you dearly every time they buy one of your cigars. So step up and, and donate to one of these organizations. And that's, I'll go back to Eddie Tarazona. He stepped up and I'm, I'm very like thrilled to see a small company like Eddie Tarazona pitching in that, that big amount of money. Cause that's a, that's not a small amount of money for any company, but mm -hmm. I would put Eddie towards the smaller of most companies and uh, he stepped up bigger than some of the companies that you would consider mid-level companies. Oh, I, I mean, I, you know, not to be, again, not to be insulting to Eddie, but I mean, I would wager that, you know, a large percentage of people that read that article on PCA yeah. had never even heard of him. Yeah. And yeah. He was, I mean, Eddie's been around committed. for a while. He has. Eddie's, yeah. been, Eddie's been around for a, a fairly long while. Um, and, you know, I'll even, I'll even say, Hey, <laughs> retailers and consumers support the people that are supporting your industry that you love so much. How about that? Yeah. It's not I too mean, big of an ask. Alan, Alan and I have good conversations, by the way. <laughs> I love Alan. Rubin. He's, he's one of my favorite people in the industry. And we've had a lot of great conversations over the, the last 18 years that I've had my brand. So um, he's, he's always very, very open with his opinion and mm -hmm. uh and we have a lot of uh, not often but we have a lot of good talks about how can we how can we make it better so well and like you he's very committed to it very committed and he backs it up too which is the which is you know the great thing about it you know Brand, brandon in the chat mentioned something in, and i'll even add to it he he said that the thing that he worries about the most is the uh um the the future you know, he worries about the future generations of, of cigar companies that, you know, may never come to fruition because of, you know, people's lack of support now. And I'll, I'll even throw one else in the hat with that. I, I totally echo that sentiment, but there are brands that we love today yeah. that, are, that could be drastically affected if not annihilated, if, you know, if the anti-tobacco lobby had its way. And Absolutely. 
you know, um, you're, you know, Tatawahe is very lucky in, in, in a couple of senses, at least as it stands now, because of some of the, you know, the predicate stuff that you hold, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily, you know, you know, that doesn't give you a pass and you certainly no, don't, yeah. you certainly don't take it either, which is, that's. Well, I mean, like, think about it, like, awesome. think about this real quick, Bear. Think about all the companies that have predicate products, like a lot of solid companies. I'll, I'll name a few, Fuente, Padron, uh, my father, um, Alec Bradley, JC Newman, um, La Florida Minicana, Lito Gomez, you know, like solid Rocky Patel. They have tons of predicate brands. And these are the, these are the companies, myself included, these are the companies that are paying to fight the fights and we don't really need it as much as the other companies. Took the words out of my mouth. 100%. So I always like, I, I'll, I'll throw in the guilt factor. Why, why ride on the coattails of these other manufacturers that don't need to do what they're doing by just saying, Oh, they'll do it for us. It's a free pass for them. No, it's not, dude. You got to do your part too. Get up off your, off your, your throne and, and, you know, all that, those piles of cash that you're making and, and kick a little bit back to the industry to help support it. There's, it's few and far between right now. Yeah. I'm hoping, uh, again, this is my naivete creep, creeping in, but I'm hoping that the year that, you know, 2020 created for a lot of companies where profits actually were increased. Um, mainly because expenses drastically decreased. <laughs> like um, my, my travel expenses <laughs> decreased a lot. Um, hopefully, um, again, my naivete creeping in there. I might, you know, I'm hoping that this kind of says to some of these supporters that, or non-supporters rather, who have a little bit more extra laying around, they're like, oh, I can, I can part with a, you know, a few bucks here. Great. Do it. Let's do it. Let's just, yeah, yeah let's. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm a, I, I was really, I was really excited. 2020 was the year that I became a lifetime member of CRA. I had been committed. I had committed a, my, you know, I'd done my $30 annual renewal for almost a decade. And I was, I had my eye on that, that lifetime membership for a long time. And I finally had the ability to do it this, this past year. And it was, I know it's such a drop in the bucket, but man, it felt good. It, it was just awesome. And that's not going to stop. I'm going to continue to contribute. You know what, Ben? Like, I'll tell you. So like this, the, the Saints and Sinners group, when we started doing the, uh, the automatic, uh, you know, automatic membership to the CRA thing, we, we got a lot of pushback in the beginning, but it was, it was a way for them to understand that, that they're going to help out supporting the industry by doing this. But I made sure what they got with the pack was worth the value that we were going to kick back or what they had to spend extra on the kit every year, right? Mm -hmm. For the last two years, the, C uh, the Saints and Sinners group has sent the CRA uh, over $60,000. Oh, wow. Just from the members paying that extra little bump, but then in turn, we gave them something for that something custom and special in the pack that was made specifically as the extra piece that they would get for being 
a CRA member and them knowing that they got a physical thing. They got a, they got a, an item for the contribution, but in two years, we send $60,000 to the CRA. So, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money. And I, I want to thank the SNS guys for, for understanding why we do it. We had a couple people say that, that uh, they'll never support the CRA because they didn't understand what the CRA was. They thought the CRA was uh, a slush fund for, for, you know, the executive director. And they thought that the CRA was just a, you know, uh, an organization that was helping out big tobacco. And I'm like, no, you have no idea that the, the organization is helping out all the, the mom and pop, you know, family operations that are out there. Um, so, I mean, I think the misunderstanding of what the CRA is, that, that kind of turned some people off, but they have to understand that it's actually a good organization. No, it, it really is. And uh, yeah, your, your commitment to it is, is, is certainly, uh, certainly proven its, its, its weight. And that's, that's, that's an awesome amount of money that, that your, that your group has been able to, you know, to raise and, it's and that yeah, and that's been... that's aside from what Tatawahi does separately. But of course, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give you one step further with Eddie Tarazona. We I, I sent him a private message on Facebook, and he said, uh, I, "I said thank you, man. Thanks for stepping up. That's really important for the industry, and I have to give you a huge amount of props for doing what you do." And every time someone would comment on one of his posts, I would make sure I would jump on the post also and say thank you again. But we got into a conversation about it and we started talking about the CRA and he goes, I want to find out more about the CRA portion and to see what I can do for the CRA also. So here's another, here's this small company that is doing what's right, is stepping up and sending in checks when the industry needs it. And it's not going to, you know, just because like the CRA is a board of directors that's filled up with manufacturers and a, and a retailer. None of us get money from it. We, we do this because we're trying to support the industry and we're, we're trying to fund the, the battles. Um, the same thing with the PCA. If you're a retailer, put your name in the hat. Be a board member of the PCA. Get your voice heard. Uh, it's important that you jump into the ring and be active. I know Josh from uh, the vault in Meridian, Ohio. He's jumping in. Uh, to be a big supporter of the PCA. Jay Davis is a huge supporter of the CRA and the PCA. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, Mike, Michael, who, who uh, runs two, two big cigar stores in Texas, doesn't have a lot of spare time, but he's still a supporter of the industry. He puts his time out there to, to help, you know, to get his voice heard on the boards of these organizations to make sure that the, uh, you know, the money's being spent the right way. Again, the, the money goes towards fighting the fights and the battles that we have constantly coming up every day of the week, even when the industry is booming, doesn't mean the anti-tobacco people are going to, you know, sit to the side and wait for some other day. No, they're, they're constantly putting pressure on us. We got to keep the train going and to move that train. You need a lot of fuel. And to get that fuel, you need companies that aren't contributing to contribute, plain and simple. 
I'll step off my soapbox. <laughs> it's a good one to be on, Pete. So, um, l last two questions for the evening, Pete. And the first, this this first one's we're gonna have a little. We're gonna go back to having a little fun. And speaking of owning it, I, I gotta own it here again. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've jinxed you two years in a row on something. Yeah. And uh, oh no, and, you can't uh, say. <laughs> I know I don't have that here. kind of power, but um, but uh, so the the subject, of course, is the illustrious. We mentioned the org, uh, we mentioned the publication uh, earlier in tonight's interview, but uh, the illustrious uh, top twenty-five cigar list from Cigar Aficionado, a list that your cigars have been a staple on for the last decade plus. Every uh, every year, but one year. Yeah. Every um, year, but one year, we we made the list. And uh, for the last two years, I've said um, that I thought a Cuban was going to win, but I thought, you know, if, if the Cuban's not going to win, that it was going to be a Tatuaje cigar. And uh, you were going to get finally get the illustrious number one that I still, still believe to my bones you very, very, very richly deserve. And I, I thought we had it this year. And I say we. Um, I thought we I'm, had it this year yeah, too. With the, with the, uh, the La Mission getting a, getting an amazing rating earlier in the year. And I thought that that was, that was going to be the ticket. Um, and uh, once again, uh, fell a little short. Uh, two good cigars uh, definitely got it uh, both years. So, uh, I mean, we're not, I'm not trying to disparage the, the, the winners by any stretch of the imagination Two very deserving, um, very deserving uh, uh, cigar manufacturers uh, making some great cigars uh, just like you. But um, but an interesting byproduct discussion of the top 25 has kind of spawned the last two years between you and I. And I have to give credit where credit's due. Um, and you you and I were talking about this started last year and you're like, I'm, you know, we're not going to get it bare. And you said, I'm, you know, you kind of said where you thought you your cigar might place. And then you started naming basically verbatim which cigar was going to place each single year. It, and, and it, and it was absolutely true last year. And then you did it again this year. Yeah, um, It's, it's all, it's all, it's, it's all a magic show. Did someone, <laughs> I, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I think I've told you this before that, that as much as I don't want to know it, there's always someone that has, the information leaked and and as much as i don't want to know it they they automatically send me like the information i'm like oh man you know like especially <laughs> this year like especially this year like when i was really hoping i even i was really hoping he was wrong he, like maybe they fed him the wrong information <laughs> and no he was dead on so i can't take credit for for uh, the knowledge, it's 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 literally someone someone finds out the information and they send it to me and I like yeah it's it's not an easy thing to to see when you you know you're not going to get it mm -hmm. but uh, it it's weird I've had a weird history with cigar aficionado because like I don't I don't go and scour the internet and like like how can I manipulate a website and see if I can figure out the top twenty five myself. <laughs> I'm not a hacker. Um, but one year, Cigar Aficionado had sent out a link. Um, hey, the top 25 is coming. So I clicked on the link. I swear to God, I clicked on the link. 
and the whole list was published. And some guys on, and it was immediately taken down, but I saw the list, like I saw the list and immediately was taken down. And there was a group of guys on the cigar family website, that Fuentes uh, forum, having a conversation about what the top 25 would be. And I got on there and I basically gave the list. And my, <laughs> I, I decided to like, I decided to like mix up one of them. And, uh, and the guys from CA actually called me out and they actually thought that I might have hacked the website. And I'm like, no, you sent me the link. <laughs> like, I, I, that's not what I do. Like, uh, you sent me the link. And I, I think they held me accountable ever since. That's why I'll never get a number one. <laughs> <laughs> there was another year there, though. There was another year, though, where their, their website was so, like, not protected Yes. That you could just change the URL. Right. So instead of it saying number three, you could just put number two and, and number one others. and you, you would see what it was. So I actually, I sent uh, Barry Blonder, who used to work for Alan Rubin uh, and Alec Bradley. Uh, he was a sales rep. I said, hey, congrats on the number one. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, Prensado's getting number one. He goes, no, nah, what are you talking about? How do you know that? The list isn't even out yet. I go, dude, try this because everybody... Everybody sent me an email and said, hey, dude, if you want to see what the list is, just change the URL. They've since have fixed that flaw, but right. I think I think <laughs> I'm still held accountable from Cigar Aficionado. That's why I'm convinced I'll never get number one because oh, they God, think I, that I, wrong there. I keep on hacking the website. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it didn't take any level of sophistication. They did the year that uh, the Eye of the Shark won a couple of years ago, the same blunder occurred and we we all, you know, you know, anyone with a couple of brain cells figured it out. And we're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, but yeah, no, I hope, I hope you're wrong on that Pete. Cause it, you no, know, um, I mean, a lot of deserving folks in this industry to, you know, deserve that number one spot. And, and you are, you are chief of well, them for sure. I'll tell you one of my, one of my best friends in the industry, John Huber, who I'm sure he's been on your show a few times. Has he right? I have, not, I've, I've had the uh, the privilege of interviewing uh, a couple of Crown Heads uh, associates, including Miguel Chaudel, his uh, his national sales manager, yeah, and yeah. and Luciano Mirales, who he partners with uh, in distribution. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but I have not had the unfortunately I have not had the opportunity to interview John, and I'm looking forward to it at some point. John's good people, man. Um, but he texts me every year. He's like, "This year, year," and I'm like, "I don't think so, dude." <laughs> like. <laughs> Every so year, it's, though, I, it's mine and John's fault. Okay, cool. I, I can share the blame with somebody. <laughs> every year, every year, actually, even um, Alec and Bradley both texted me and said, you're going to get it this year. I go, nope, I'm not. <laughs> and I, I actually told them Ernie was going to get it. I actually told everybody Ernie was going to get it. And they're like, what? And these guys work with Ernie. You know, John works with Ernie. Uh Alec and Bradley work with Ernie and they're like, no way, dude, it's impossible. The cigar got like a 91 point rating. There's no way it's going to happen. I go, well, just watch. I think <laughs> Yeah, Al so, Al Alec was tickled pink. I predicted the uh, the gatekeeper would 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 place uh, would place up really high on the list, and he, he was like, "Oh man, I don't, I, you know, your lips to 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 Shankin's ear on that." And I was like, "Man, I think it's going to happen." And, um, and I was happy for them. They're good yeah, kids, man. Yeah, they really are. They've done some incredible work. I've been pleased to get to know them. It's been uh, it's been awesome. Um, 
So this is the, the last question tonight, Pete, and I can't I can't thank you. And I, I always take this time to, to thank my guests. Uh, you know, you know, I, I know I know it's not easy staying up late uh, to have a conversation with me. And especially on Sundays when, you know, it's typically family time. And even in the period of covid, you know, it's still family time. And, and for you to take time. Well, my, my wife's in bed with a dog already, so <laughs> I'm going to be struggling for space when I get up there. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it nonetheless. It means it means the absolute world to me. So, um, so this uh, this question is my last question. This is the curveball segment. This is meant to also be a little fun and everything, but I thought it would be interesting. You've, you've we've mentioned a couple of relationships tonight, and I, I, I certainly don't want to be so um, I don't know so immature as to ask uh, favorites or anything like that. But I thought this would be an interesting take. Uh, one of the one of my favorite things to come out of COVID has been a lot of these 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 companies to get on zooms and you know virtual herfs and and just really engage with consumer bases and and and, and get to know people in different lights and and one of very early on in covid one of my favorite pieces which of course unfortunately was kind of lost to the the interwebs uh he, he was able to retrieve all of them except for this one but um michael herklotz sat mm -hmm. down with you uh, for one of the the instagram lives that he was doing with uh, people inside the industry and outside really really great interesting stuff but i was i was privileged enough to catch your interview live which was the only way you could get it because now it's it's kind of like lost as i was mentioning which was really sad for anyone who missed it because it was a great conversation uh hilarious at times uh you guys were really uh really busting each other's balls it was hilarious but um but you guys had some 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 terrific insights and and i thought this question would be interesting so outside of outside of folks that are associated with the Tatawahai family, you know, obviously um, pretty extensive family. And then obviously the, my father family, which is, uh, you know, you're obviously related to and very close to in, in certain regards, but outside those two organizations, my father and the, the Tatawahai family, <laughs> who do you think that you are, have the closest relationship in the cigar industry? Not, Who's, who do you have the most, the closest relationship that's outside of your family, so to speak? Wow, man. Uh, that's tough. Um, you're talking about manufacturers only? Take the question however you want. There's no right or wrong answer here. Just your interpretation. I, I, have, I have a lot of great relationships with, with retailers. Do, which I thought this was interesting. Um, like I've become really close with with uh you know everybody eventually gets my cell phone number they end up texting me and uh i think i've i've built a, a fun relationship with jay really quickly jay davis uh really quickly over the last uh year jay's become a, a huge supporter of the product but i i really love the fact that he's uh supporting the industry uh as much as he can um I have a lot of great conversations with Phil from Updown. Um, Phil, obviously, same thing, supports the industry a lot, uh, works with the PCA, is on the board. Um, so he's really on top of what's going on and what's going to be happening. I mean, there's, there's so many retailers that I could list off. Uh, manufacturers, um, it's tough, man. I've, I've had a, I've had a relationship with Dion since 2006. I mean, we still text each other and, and talk here and there. Uh, same with Huber. We, we text more than anything. 
And then Herklotz, um, I've had a lot of great conversations with him um, just based off of, you know, his exit out of the whole Nat Sherman world. And then, you know, for him to confide in me on some of the information of his new launch was really cool. I, I have a lot of guys like that in the industry that I, I love being around. I love talking with them. I love having conversations with them. Um, so I wouldn't put anyone on a pedestal. I'd probably put them all as a, you know, it's the same thing, man, with the, when I get into a boardroom with the CRA uh, group, um, for me, I'm like the kid in the room um, with, with all these giants, but uh, they're all either longtime friends or mentors. And, you know, I think I have a great relationship with all of those guys too. And that includes Alan, that includes Rocky and Robbie Levin from Ashton. And uh, I mean, I obviously have a very close relationship with the Levin family because of their relationship with the Garcias. Um, mm -hmm. And then you go to the tobacco side. I really have good conversations with Gustavo Cura from, from Oliva. I mean, it's all over the map. I, I wouldn't put anybody on a pedestal. I'd, I have a lot of great friends and not one best friend. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can't put anybody on a pedestal. They're all good. I figured it'd be a tough question, but I thought it was a fun one. Just like I, like I wasn't saying, like, let's not play favorites here, but it's just like who you might be closest to. So I thought it was a, an interesting exercise. But like, like you said, you've, I'm, you've if you have to go back enough. in time, mm -hmm. if you have to go back in time, I was super close with, with Carlito at one time, uh, super like ridiculously close with Inez and Lito from La Florida Minicana to the point where I would talk to Inez probably every week. Um, every couple days even just talking about production that they're having in, in the Dominican Republic. And I was down in the factory a couple of times with Lido. Um, you know, all these guys, I just don't, we don't get to see each other that often. Right. Um, but when we see each other, it's like old home week, you know, it's like nothing's changed. It's just like, okay, what do we got to do to make the industry better type of thing? And it's like Ernie, when I, I've sat in the factory in Nicaragua with Ernesto Carrillo, he happened to be visiting Pepin and Jaime at the factory. And we've had great conversations with him at the factory. And, you know, Pepin, same thing. He's, he's always like, he went to the Dominican Republic and ended up going to Ernie's factory and, you know, started like, you know, <laughs> teaching his rollers how to do certain things. <laughs> like, you know, like, the industry is full of great people that really care about each other and they actually are willing to give, you know, you inform useful information to help you move forward. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe there's, I, I, maybe I'm in this little click or bubble of uh, with these, these, these certain people, but uh, like when I'm with Rocky, I have great conversations with Rocky. When I'm, if, if I'm with the, you know, Lito, I'll have a great conversation with him. Uh, it, it's all over the map. There's no, there's no best friend. There's, there's a lot of great <laughs> friends. Now, you mentioned uh, Carlito, and I remember that there's this, this picture floating around the internet too. A very, a very young Pete Johnson with a couple of other folks sitting on, 
yeah. seems like a kitchen table almost. And there's a there's a young Carlito Fuente there too. And uh, yeah, Carlito, uh, Carlos Senior, and Robbie Levin, and and actually Wayne Suarez was there too. Um, yeah, that was. 1996 in the Dominican Republic. So, oh wow, I've I've, I've been around the block a little bit. <laughs> 20, 28 years in the industry, and uh, I mean, I I still have a high regard for all the old guys in the industry. I mean, I love them. Uh, like Manolo Casada, you know, when I'm around him, it's just it feels like you know he's just that guy. You know, Carlos Senior was one of those few guys that I would get nervous around. Interesting. Yeah, he was, he, but he, he was Carlos Sr. I mean, he was just <laughs> one of those dudes, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, there's Carlito and then there's Carlos Sr. And Carlos Sr. was like the old man Padron in a sense. Like, like I had more conversations with George and maybe even the cousin Rudy, but, and Orlando here and there. But, but Jose Orlando was like that, that one guy that, the translation barrier, obviously the language barriers were tough, but uh, when you're around a guy like that, you still, you just sit there and listen. Absolutely. A lot of good people. That's why but, this industry is the best industry in the world. A lot of good people. Hands a couple down. assholes, but a, a lot of good people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but final thought I'll leave you, you mentioned uh, Manola Casada. Um, and I know that you had a, I know you you played a big part in the documentary hand rolled uh, and mm -hmm. not necessarily too much on the creative side, but one of the things that you do uh, that you did take credit for and, and, and Jesse and Steve do give you credit for, uh, for sure, among a lot of things uh, and uh, along with your tireless support that you gave to their project, but the, uh, the opening to that documentary yeah. with Manola Casada, just, uh, I could watch it on the loop, man. It's just, yeah. Just well, perfect. his voice, I mean, we, we joked, we joked, we said, if we can't, if I can't get Peter Weller to narrate the film, I think maybe <laughs> we should have Manolo do it because his voice is so good. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, a perfect way to open that documentary. And um, I, I think of, I, I, I shocked Jesse when I had him on the show, I had him and Steve on the show and uh, he's like, well, how many times have you seen it? And I said, um, and at the time it was like, oh, I, I've, I've seen it a few times. He's like, oh, I was like, yeah, I think uh, my last count was 14. And he was like, you serious? I was like, yeah, it had only been on, it had only been on streaming network. It had only been on Amazon prime for, I don't know, I don't know, a couple of months at that point. And I never saw a viewing of it. And, but I was, I was, I, when they announced the date, I, I mean, I waited up till midnight to, to purchase it. I mean, it was like, I felt like a kid again, back in high school waiting for like the, the, the concert ticket or something like that. I mean, I was so excited and I watched it that night and, and I've watched it countless, countless times since, uh, I think I'm in the, I'm close to 30 at this point. I've, I've just watched it so much. It's, it's, it's fabulous work. It's something you, you, the three of you should be very proud of. And I know you are. Yeah, very, very. I mean, that was the, actually, I'll be honest. That was the one uh, year that, that one year where I, where I actually contributed a lot of money to, to make the film. That was the one year that I, I kind of didn't do as much for the CRA or the PCA because I was focused on making this, this film that I, I thought would be a, a great commercial for the industry. So. Well, one, I, I think one could argue that you supported it even more than any other year by doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess so. Probably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, uh, 
again, can't thank you enough for tonight. Uh, what an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity to sit yeah. down with you again. This was, uh, this I was had a blast, man. Thank you, sir. Uh, to my audience, can't thank you guys enough for staying up late with us as well and enjoying every moment. Um, please, uh, there will be in the show notes, but please uh, consider uh, donating to the amazing cause uh, that uh, the Pete and I talked about earlier. Uh, Garden Angels, uh, GAR, a uh, fantastic organization supporting a man's best friend. Can't get any better than that. And uh, a wonderful organization and just a wonderful time talking with you, Pete. Um, thank you for all the likes, shares, comments, everyone. Uh, if you are a fan of the show, uh, please continue to support us. You can always check us out on YouTube, our LLS Fumar channel. Be sure you subscribe, subscribe there. Uh, always our shows broadcast live on Facebook every week. You can uh, like the Eloso Fumar page. And if you want to check out a calendar of upcoming guests, including Amanda McAuliffe of McAuliffe Cigars, who will be, uh, will be my guest next week. Really excited about the opportunity to speak with her. And uh, got some other great guests in the works. So definitely stay tuned for all that. You can always listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure you download, subscribe, and review. And if you already are a subscriber, please unsubscribe. But don't forget to resubscribe because that really helps my numbers so I can get great people like Pete to come back and talk to me every so often. So um, thank you, everyone. In closing, real quick, in closing to everybody that's watching and anybody that's watching can pass it on to a friend. There is a new CRA pack uh, coming up in – it's actually going to be starting to – I think the Fuente group is actually going to pack the, the, the packs in April. So it's available sometime in May. Um, it's going to be a, another great selection of, of great cigars that uh, if you want to support the CRA, that's a great way by purchasing one of those packs. So thanks for that. Absolutely. So in the next 60 days, take a look. New pack from the CRA. If you want to get involved with the industry, smoke some cigars and support the great industry and the great organizations like PCA and CRA that do all the hard work for us and continue to support the uh, the manufacturers that uh, that to support this industry as well. We thank you all for tuning in. This was our 159th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. He's Pete Johnson. I'm Bear Duplicity. Guess what, everyone? We'll see you next time. See you guys. Thank you. Thank you.